Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so excited to have someone in studio rather than doing this over the phone. Uh, Dr. Uh, Daryl Ray is, is a psychiatrist or psychologist? Psychologist. Don't psychologist. call me a psychiatrist. Sorry. In trouble. <laughs> <laughs> or get me in trouble. <laughs> so a good friend of mine, Molly uh, Porter, who's on my officiant team, uh, we were talking just about Christianity and, you know, how she grew up and how I grew up and, you know, kind of our thoughts on where we are now. And she goes, have you heard of Dr. Daryl Ray? And I said, I don't know if I have. She goes, Google him and watch some of his stuff. He's, this is his specialty on helping former Christians uh, work through their religious trauma yeah, from right. sexual <laughs> shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this is going to be an unbelievable conversation. I'm sure we'll be all over the place, but that's what this podcast is. It's just a conversation. Good. And uh, I can already tell as soon as you got right. here, as we were chatting before we got the mics turned on, I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, we had to stop talking yeah. so we wouldn't blow the, <laughs> blow it all. <laughs> what I can't believe is we're we're in the same city or at least the same metro area. Yeah, and I've I've never heard of you. Oh my you gosh! How did that work? I don't I, know. I don't know. It's crazy. Well, I'm glad, glad we found that, each other. me too because you are doing a great work from what I was seeing um, as I researched you. Because that was one of my biggest traumas. People that listen to the podcast, they know know my story. But you know, former evangelical Christian, spent thirty years doing it. Uh, went through a divorce in two thousand nineteen. Um, completely walked away from the faith. At first, it started. I was, I would say, I was a a very progressive evangelical. So I was the tattooed kind of crazy mm-hmm. hair guy. But I was pushing the envelope, and then I was a supporter of gay marriage, and that got me in a lot of trouble by the evangelicals. <laughs> so I became more and more either progressive or liberal. I don't know what you would call it. You and were it, pushing that gay agenda, yes. <laughs> was you? Were you okay? Exactly. I'm still looking for it. I haven't found the agenda yet. I haven't okay. either. And weirdly, it never turned me gay. Mm. Uh, but I continued to evolve in my spirituality, and I just became more and more liberal. In, in my theology. Right. Uh, and, and I just, I couldn't believe it anymore. I mean, it, it came down to, I read a book called Sapiens and I thought, where is this teaching? I've never heard of the Neanderthals. I've never heard of the descendants. I've never heard of any of this shit. Wow. Like where the fuck are all these people and how the <laughs> fuck are they going to go to heaven if they never did hear about Jesus? You know, like my, I'm unwinding all these tapes yeah, and right. I'm just like, this is a myth. Will we see Australopithecus in hell? <laughs> right. You know, and what, 98% of all living creatures have gone extinct? Yeah. What kind of fucking plan is that? It's, a, <laughs> it's an evolutionary plan is what it is. <laughs> so tell us tell us about yourself. Uh, the listeners, um, maybe some of them heard of you, but let's just say they haven't. Give us some background on, on you and what you do. Uh, well, I, I grew up very religious. I even was... I did all sorts of stuff like Sunday school teaching and, and all that. I even taught evolution in Sunday school. That's how edgy I was okay. in, a, in an independent Christian. So church. you were sophisticated. I got away with it, uh, but you know, <laughs> it didn't last forever, yeah. but yeah, I was, um, I was very religious. My family was religious. My parents even became missionaries when they um, retired. I, my grandfather was a country church preacher over in Sedalia, Missouri area for 45 years in Wichita, Kansas. My parents were, I was grew up in Wichita. Yeah. Um, grandparents on the other side were very 
helped found a church. My parents founded two churches besides the one I grew up in. Wow. So they were church planters. I mean, oh, you know, you know, the whole rigmarole. Right, right. And I went to Friends University, a small Quaker affiliated university, and got a degree in sociology and anthropology. Yeah. Um, would have had a double major in anthropology, except they didn't have a major in it. So I ended up getting a minor, but having enough credit hours to have a major, you know, yeah. one of those yeah. things. And um, at the end of that, I thought I still wanted to help people in some way. It hadn't occurred to me I could be a psychologist, but I could be a minister. So I went to Skerritt College for Christian Workers in Nashville, Tennessee, because they had a kind of a social justice and religious religion program, which yeah. fit me. I was I was very I was always liberal. I don't care. Twelve years old, I I believed in evolution. I found shark's teeth on top of a mesa behind my uh, missionary um, aunt and uncle's house, and I came down and asked my aunt Margie, "Where are these? How these fossil farks teeth, uh, sharks teeth get up there?" And she said, "Well, God put them there in the flood." <laughs> And I thought, my head, bitch, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I didn't say that out loud. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but even at 12, I do better than that. <laughs> and uh, then I went off to graduate school, got a master's degree in religion, thought I was going to be kind of an uh, urban minister, you know, yeah. working in, in the, doing kind of urban social work uh, with a religious, religious church support. And that, sure. well, at the end of two years, I, I realized it's all bullshit. So I'm. I got out of that and, and then uh, moved on into clinic uh, counseling psychology and then into clinical psychology in my career for about 10 years. And then I moved into organizational psychology, which is where I spent most of my um, career and, and wrote my first two books in or, as org psych, yeah. you know, how to, what's the psychology organizations and teamwork and how do you motivate people and, you know, retain people and create teams. That was a, you know, 30 years of my life. And I, I loved it. I had, it was a great career to be in. Yeah. But then in a, our early two thousands, late nineties, I, I started getting more and more interested in, in uh, the psychology of religion. I had read Dur Emil Durkheim years ago. I'd read uh, William James, you know, back in college, I went back and read uh, Bertrand Russell's why I'm not a Christian. Uh, went back and read it second yeah. time. And I was surprised how different the, the same book was when you're looking at it with less religious eyes or no religious eyes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that I'd, I'd read, I'd read Richard Dawkins. I read Sam Harris, Dan Dennett. I read them all. And uh, what occurred to me at, this is like 2004, 2005 was that nobody's talking about the psychology of religion, not in the way that Durkheim did or William James did. Uh, I love Dawkins. I met him many times. Even I'm mean, even go look at I'm even in one of his um, documentaries, Sex, really? Sex, Death, and the Meaning of Life. I'm in the first twelve minutes of the first episode. Hey, so that's awesome. Sex, <laughs> go look it up. Sex, Death, and Meaning of Life. I he even seems tell, like a really nice man. Yeah, well, he is. He's very introverted though, and and you know he's got billions of people wanting to talk to him. So you know, sure. The fact that I've had some time to actually play one, I. I, I Right. We're in the plaza. Yeah. Uh, you know where the World War One memorial yeah. is. Uh -huh. I met Dawkins there and that's where we filmed uh, in that nice tree line right next to the oh, wow. uh, driveway there. We, yeah. we spent two hours just talking to each other. I, I felt very honored. I thought I'm the one that should be interviewing you. But no, he was interviewing me. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Wasn't it? Wow. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'd read all these people. I thought, well, um, there's a book here. Somebody needs to write about what's going on in the brain, what's going on in the psychology, the 
more the sociology as well. So I, that's what inspired me to write The God Virus, uh, how, how religion infects our lives and culture. And the response to that book was overwhelming. I had no clue. The, I was just writing a damn book. If it didn't sell five copies, it didn't right. matter to me. I just I had, had to get, get it out of the system. Well, it's probably sold 100,000 or more copies. I don't know. I That's mean, amazing, it, by it, the way. It's not as big as like Dawkins, but sure. it's it's sold a hell of a lot of books. You never know after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope, go, I hope people go out because here's, here's what I'll tell your listeners. Everything you read in The God Virus, I predicted would happen with respect to Trump, with respect to the religious right, Christian nationalism. You read my book, you're like, damn, Daryl is predicting this back in 2009. What I didn't predict, though, would get this bad. Yeah. I, I predicted every, everything you, you can look, you'll, because the subtitle of the book is How Religion Infects Our Lives and Culture. Yeah. So the culture piece has come true with a vengeance, much worse than I, I ever. Of course, I couldn't predict a Trump phenomena. Right. But Christian nationalism has just infected our. And the Christians that would rally around him. Oh, yeah. They're down there probably <laughs> rioting in Miami today as he's getting indicted for 37 felonies. You know, it's just it's just absurd. Anyway, that story led. I've always I've been off and on kind of a sex therapist. Uh, I didn't spend my career in sex therapy, but I was. I always seemed to be in it and had clients that would uh, had that issue or yeah. some issues around it. And that led me to, you know, the, the God virus was so successful. I thought, well, chapter five of the God virus is on sex and religion. <laughs> yeah. And that was the chapter that seemed to get the most response from people. I mean, it, it, it would just, if I got an email, chances are one out of two was going to be around the, se the sex chapter. Yeah. Right. So that said, maybe I've got another book here. And uh, sure enough, I did. I had t I, I could have written a book three times as big. There was just so much I had to leave out. But that led me to write Sex and God, How Religion Distorts Sexuality. And that's right. the key. It distorts our sexuality. Can't wait to get into that. It's, um, it, too, became a bestseller. It didn't sell as well as, as God power. It surprised me. I thought sex would sell better, but... It, it still still does. I mean, sure. I get the royalty check just yesterday, and it's still that's awesome. still paying, which I'm thrilled about. I'm I'm not a millionaire, but I'm thrilled about it. Not because I never intended to make money. That wasn't my my goal. My right. my goal is to educate people and help them ask them some ask some tough questions. Because I see so many secular people, agnostics, atheists, spiritual but not religious. I don't care what you call yourself. But they're still infected with religious ideas yes. about sex and sexuality. For for example, big example, uh, the notion of sex addiction or porn addiction. There's no such thing. Right. There's no diagnosis in the DSM. Right. And it's not because of people haven't tried for 20 years. People we've had three different committees at the American Psychological and Psychiatric Association trying to figure out how could we diagnose this. Well, if you can't come up with scientifically validated symptoms or criteria then you can't diagnose it right who's diagnosing well it's your mother-in-law <laughs> it's your priest it's your <laughs> it's your sunday school teacher that anybody that comes and tells you they're a sex addict has either been diagnosed by their sunday school teacher or some similar person right. or they self-diagnosed right. because there's, there's no no psychologist and if a psychologist ever diagnoses you as sex addict go file a complaint with the ethics commission because there ain't no such thing right now I'm not saying people don't have lots of trouble. Sure. I don't. I'm not saying people don't don't overuse 
over, you know, overuse porn or use it in a way that would get in the way of their work or something. Sure. But uh, you want me to go down this rabbit yeah, hole? Yeah, yeah, no. This is, I mean, this is the part that I'm so curious about because I'm finding myself, you're saying so much, I wanted to interject, but I'm like, no, let him finish his thought. I spent, you know, I was born in the church pew, right? So even today, I'll have a thought about something. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a fucking religious right wing thought. Yeah. You don't even believe in that to me anymore. Mm -mm. Like, how is that, that perception or that whatever still there? Mm -hmm. And I've been reading to so much. I read a book a week almost lately to try to rewire my brain. And I've done this for the last five years to really get my thoughts away from that's how I was raised. That's all I ever knew. Mm -hmm. That was what was pounded into my brain. Uh, and so now I'm almost like two people. It's weird. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm agnostic. I don't, I don't, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not, I definitely don't. There's definitely not the Bible God. I don't believe in that one for sure, but maybe there's some creator, something, maybe I don't fucking know. Um, that's why I remain agnostic about it. It's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. And I, I know it's a conscious decision that I say, maybe there's a guy, you know, da, da, da. but I have no proof. There's no proof. Anyway. So I find myself so often the struggle in, in my mm-hmm. head, I know what I definitely believe and I know that this is wrong, but it's like, it was such a part of my life for so long. Mm-hmm it's it's hard to unwind those tapes right you know yeah. don't no masturbation no sex before you're married all that shit which i i know is bullshit i don't believe it i don't teach it you know porn's evil i mean some of the some porn's pretty freaking weird but i can see how it could be helpful in some situations so i'm just you know becoming a whole new person over the last 5 years mm-hmm. and uh, and when i you know like i said when i found out you we're doing a lot of this stuff about helping people through the trauma and the mis misteachings of, of religion. I'm just like, Oh my goodness. I can't wait to talk to him to, <laughs> to, to, uh, dig into this and, and find out one where, you know, with the psychology piece of what's going on in the psyche for a Christian, because now that I'm outside of it, it's, it's like you said, I, I read a book that when I was a Christian, then I read the book when I'm not a Christian and it's like, yeah. Whoa. Oh yeah. <laughs> like uh, you're just blown. There's a whole nother book. Yeah. It's like you never read it in the first no. place. You, you missed all the, all the points or, right. or key components. To believe like now, and I, I, I don't mean this to sound offensive, but there's a part of me now. I sometimes just like, how could someone believe this? Like, mm-hmm. have you read the Bible? Have you ever prayed? Like 9-11 killed Christians, non-Christians, you know, it's like, yeah, like babies, like innocent. Uh, uh, It's just baffling to me actually that, that, and I try not to be, because I have some really good friends that are good Christians. That's, that's why I think it's important to talk about this because you're not the only person we, we, at at the organization that I I helped, I founded and helped run recovering from religion. What you just said could be a chat that comes in almost on the hour wow or the phone call that comes in almost on the hour and we have a simple way of talking about this that seems to help a lot of people it, and i call it simple because it it's not 
is not 172% accurate in, in terms of the way neurology works. Right. But it's close enough. I mean, you, um, the quick, simple uh, explanation is you've got two brains in your head. You got the right brain and the left brain. And I know a lot's been made about that over the year, and most of that stuff's just inaccurate. Right. But one part of the brain is going to process your, your logic and language skills. The other part's processing your emotional stuff. And you have components of the brain, the amygdala, the hippocampus, hypothalamus. I mean, all these pieces are, are participating in your, in your belief structure. You can... Um, when you're a child at three, four, five years old, your native language, first language is English, I'm guessing. Do you have any other languages? No. Okay. I don't either. Thank tongues. I wish tongues. I no. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. I can launch out in tongues. <laughs> My heavenly language, doctor. Please don't. <laughs> I might have to leave. <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah. So, um, at, at three, four, five, you are learning English, and you're you're in, in you're in a bubble. You're in an environment where ling English is all that's being spoken. You probably don't even know there's other languages, and you certainly aren't sitting uh, at home studying your or listening to your grandma talking English and saying, "Grandma or mom, why aren't you talking teaching me German? Right? Why aren't you teaching me Chinese?" That never occurs to you. So your brain is being programmed and and patterned for English and the perception of the English syntax and all that sort of stuff that you're going to do as a result of an English speaker. If you were, in, if you were a kid in Switzerland and the official languages were German, uh, Italian, and French, you would learn all three of those languages. If you were in, in Finland where the official languages are uh, Finnish and English and maybe Swedish, you are, you are being exposed to all these other pieces and you can move smoothly back and forth yeah. until you're 12 or 13 or 14 years old. At that point in time, the window closes and it becomes harder and harder to learn language. By the time you're 21 years old, most people would really have to struggle to learn a second or third language, a second language, not yeah. a third language. If by the way, you've been exposed to two languages, let's say you were American with Spanish, um, and so, uh, you know, Spanish speaking people around you, you learn both those languages. It seems to be much easier to pick up a third language. You can go learn German, you might be able to learn Chinese. But if you've only been one language, it's hard to get out of that language and learn others. Yeah. I mean, how many people do you know? You know, 40 said, I want to learn. Oh, I've never known of anyone yeah, to it, do that. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. And you can pick up the rudiments. I mean, I was studying French for two years in college. And it was, it was like, might as well just pull all my teeth. It was that hard. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. Uh, my, my, uh, French teacher brought me in at the end of two years and said, Daryl, I really appreciate you. I like you. You're really uh, interested. I know, but you're terrible at this. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a B if you'll never take another French class. <laughs> okay. We have a deal. Cause I needed my B. I, I was never going to get an A. Anyway. Yeah. So, I, I say all this to say that your brain has windows that open and they close. And there's a lot of windows that are opening and closing throughout your developmental. It's called developmental psychology. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. So you, your language acquisition window opens up when you're an infant and it closes when you're anywhere from 12 to 20 years old. 
and that's universal. There, there's very few people that can just pick up a new language at, at 40 years old, unless, like I said, they were exposed to multiple languages. Yeah. Well, that's what happened to you in religion. You were learning how to speak Christianese, yep. not Chinese, not Americanese, not uh, Spanish. You were learning a, a your, your brain was opened and it was ex- receiving this information. It's really important because in a, in a cultural situation, your parents says, your parents say, don't go over there because lions will eat you. If you're in savannas of Africa, for example, those same parents will say, don't go over there in that bush because that's where the demons live. The infant brain does not know how to distinguish between those two. The eight-year-old brain doesn't know how to distinguish those two, but the child that listens to their parents is going to survive and have descendants. The child that ignores their parents is going to get eaten by the lion and have no descendants. So it's important for children to listen to their to the parents, and if they're Christian parents saying the devil's going to send you to hell or the devil's speaking to you if you masturbate, that all gets put into the right and left brain. Now, once you become educated, once you become in a place where you can learn how to be critical, have a critical thinking at 20, 21, 22, go to college or whatever, your your left brain starts analyzing this and say, well, this is all bullshit, yeah. which, is, which is what you've been telling me right? and which we, we're talking about now. But your right brain is still stuck in that five-year-old. Yeah. Developmentally, the window closed. How are you going to get out of Christianity? It's it's like learning a new language. Yeah. The language of secularism, the language of being an agnostic or an atheist. And it takes years, just like it would take years if you wanted to learn French. Yeah. So that's why we, what we do, I think, is so important in Recovery from Religion, because we are here to help you. You're not the only person. You're not alone. And uh, we see this pattern in thousands of people every year. Wow. And the fact that we can recognize it and talk about it right now, like you and I doing, is healing. Yeah. It, it lets you deal with the emotional because there's a there's an enormous cognitive, cognitive distance that comes from here's the way I was trained as a child. Here's the way I now understand the world as an adult. And those things are always knocking heads with each yes, other. And that causes cognitive distance is painful when it cannot get resolved. And what I heard you tell me before we even got on here was you had a huge amount of cognitive distance when you read Sapiens because it started knocking heads with all this emotional stuff from your, from your right brain. And you, you took years to resolve that. Yeah. And, and then once you started resolving it, I think basically you said it was with a- Sapiens, then it just fell apart. Right. But what fell apart was the logic yeah. not the emotions. The right. emotions are still there. Yeah. And uh, you need most of us, and I'll include myself, need emotional and help, emotional help through that, through that struggle, through that time period in your life. You called it, I think earlier, the darkest, some of the darkest things you've experienced. And yeah. I, I did too, you know, you're leaving behind everything your parents told you was right. Yeah. That's a big question to be asking. Yeah. Well, I think your own words were, what if everything I was taught was wrong? Yeah. That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you come to the place where you realize that it was, you know, the, mm-hmm. that Jonah wasn't swallowed by a big fish, did not live <laughs> in the belly of this fish for three days. Did, like none of those stories are true. Right. Um, it, yeah, it, it does. I, I pretty much dismantled everything and then 
you know, did Jesus, did Jesus exist? It seems like most scholars believe that he probably did. He's a real person, but he wasn't actually God. He was just an enlightened teacher that got some fame or whatever. Who knows? I, I wasn't there. Um, so I've, I've been able to, some people think I like I'm lost, like I'm a prodigal, <laughs> you know, my parents are like, we're praying for you, which I finally had to tell oh, them, like, yeah. you can keep praying for me all you want. I said, but it, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not in a, I'm not in a van down by the river hooked on meth. <laughs> it's not like I've, I've left the church and now I'm living this like terrible life. I'm happier. I'm more fulfilled. I'm in a wonderful marriage. Uh, we're super, I mean, I'm not saying like we're perfect. I'm just saying it's like everything about my life, uh, according to what I was taught, isn't possible. I shouldn't be this happy, this right. fulfilled, this content, this like, people aren't, you know, some of my old friends are like, aren't you, you know, what if it is true? What, aren't you scared of hell? <laughs> and I just, I laugh because th there's nothing in me that believes that it's true. Like right. there's not even a shred of what if I'm wrong? no. I, I don't know everything, but I know for sure that's not true. Right, right. I know that for sure. But what is true on some other things, I don't, I don't know. Right. You know. Well, you are in a process of repatterning your brain. Your, your childhood patterns were pretty solid and really, you know, one of our, one of our volunteers, um, Daniel, out of Australia, probably one of the most uh, prolific volunteers. I went to Australia. Was it Hillsong? No, but Hillsong. <laughs> That's another, well, was another podcast maybe about Hillsong. Dear Lord. <laughs> anyway, Daniel was, um, it, it, I, I was down there in Australia. I, I did a, a tour. We, I went down there uh, in, in February, March to, to, to talk about re, uh, religious trauma. Oh, very cool. And I got to meet him. He, he's been one of our volunteers for three years. I asked him, how many times, how many phone calls and chats have you taken? And he said something a little less than 2,500. In three years, he's taken 2,500 calls and chats. But he has a really uh, nice way of, of helping people understand what's going on, that you're not alone, that it's a very common problem that you have. And he asks people, on a scale of 1 to 10, how, do you, how much uh, intellectually do you believe in a, in a God or a being? Uh, 1, nothing at all, and 10 total. Yeah. And most people say, well, I one or a two or three, you know? Yeah. Okay. Emotionally on a scale of one to 10, how much do you believe there's a God? Oh, I about eight <laughs> 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 or even a 10, you know, uh, and, or, or let's, let's use a different example. And it's a fear of hell. How uh. much do you believe in a fear? How, how much do you believe that there's a hell? And, oh, maybe a one, maybe a zero, if there's a zero, uh, emotionally oh an eight or a nine maybe a ten <laughs> so you can just see in that little example that daniel uses and it's brilliant it's so yeah. simple you can see that dissonance between your your belief structure and your emotional structure yeah and they're they aren't necessarily tied to each other yeah mine they're, weren't for a long time they're independent and yeah. they cause you'd have nightmares at night even as you kick yourself <laughs> for even thinking such a stupid thing it's just we're humans yeah. our brains are very um uh, fallible. Yeah. Our brains are not very good at, and, and as a child, your brain had integrated all this information into one unified piece. And now as an adult, you're tearing it all apart. That's, yeah. you know, if I start tearing my arm apart, that's going to be painful. It, yeah. Well, this, we have evidence that emotional pain 
a lot of evidence in terms of neurology, emotional pain is as painful as physical pain. Yeah. So the pain centers of your brain light up when you feel the cognitive dissonance yeah. and you're, you just want to get rid of it. I mean, I know when I went through my first divorce, I was, the pain was palpable. Oh. I felt it in yeah. so many ways. And I, <laughs> I just want, I would do almost anything to get rid of that pain. Yeah. I never had that experience with the religion. I, I was, I was a lucky person. I, was so damn liberal at 12 years old. I didn't have a lot to get out yeah, of. I guess that far to go. <laughs> but, you know, you had a, a you were a, a lot deeper into it. So the physical cognitive pain from the cognitive dissonance is 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 strong and it's hard to resolve. It, and it will take literally take years to resolve it. But I can hear your your laughter and your joy. Yeah. So it tells me you've you've repatterned your brain at least somewhat successfully. Yeah. And they're still going to, you still slide back, you know, sure. you'll still have a nightmare every now and then there's, there's things going to happen and, and you'll get triggered because the five-year-old you still lives in your brain. Yeah. It, it your five-year-old you is still there and will always be there. Yeah. What you do is you try to help the five-year-old, uh, find its place in your brain Yeah. <laughs> and not, not get triggered so easily or not get triggered at all. Hopefully. Yeah. That's why psychedelics have been helpful. Like, <laughs> psilocybin and just micro dosing and, mm -hmm. and doing some breath work and really helped me to get into that subconscious, you know, reprogramming and, and just, and reading, just reading and watching, uh, videos and listening to podcasts and right. just, and, 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 and not just doing it. I don't want to jump from one confirmation bias, you know, to the other confirmation bias. Yeah, right. I want to, I want to be a free thinking human being that, that can weigh the evidence and can look at everything and, and, you know, come up with a, an understanding. Right. Right. We're going to take a short commercial break. Be right back with Dr. Daryl Ray. Okay. So you, I know we got sidetracked. I sidetracked you, uh, back to the sexual addiction. What? Yeah, sure. Uh, I hear that coming from a lot of people, both, um, Christian and, and, and non-religious people. And as I said earlier, it, there's, we, we haven't come with any way to diagnose it, but it doesn't mean people don't have problems with it, with sex, but there's a different as uh, sexual behavior, generally speaking, is simply a symptom of something else. So if you are, quote, overusing porn, for example, then you got to ask the question, what, how would you know if you're overusing it? <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, from my perspective, I wasn't using near as much porn when I was married as when I got divorced. Right. And I saw my own masturbatory and my porn use go up orders of magnitude for that year or two that I was struggling. I mean, gosh, you know, I was, I had a lot of what I now look back and say I was clinically depressed. Yeah. Now I had the good sense to go find a therapist and work through it, but the the masturbatory use of porn was simply a symptom of the depression I was going through. Yeah. Now I knew I was depressed. I I counseled hundreds of people in my career at that time. This is I was thirty eight when this happened, so I knew most people go through depression either before they get divorced or after immediately afterwards. I mean some. 
obviously for it could be either way so if they are going through that they're going to compensate for it some people may use more alcohol they that doesn't mean they're an alcoholic right it i means, jumped into the hookup culture is what i did well there you go hookup <laughs> culture i don't care what you get into yeah but people are going to do something to compensate because their entire system has been thrown out of balance if you're in a really solid long-term relationship even if it's got a lot of problems which most people have got a lot of problems or they wouldn't get divorced right right but you're still settled your brain is not having to think you know where's my next meal coming from or do i have to go to you know the restaurant tonight or go to the deli you know there's questions that just don't come up when you're in a relationship and everybody on all the the uh duties of the of the parties are well understood you know who's right. bringing home the paycheck this week how are we going to go on vacation there's lots of things that are just but then you get divorced and all of a sudden you know how do how do i deal with all this right. and you deal with it maybe increasing your alcohol consumption maybe increasing your porn uh, consumption i don't care but it's a symptom yeah. and there's absolutely nothing wrong with with doing that right it's when it interferes with something else. Like uh, I, I got so drunk last night, I couldn't go to work this morning. Okay. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> what causes a problem is a problem, but let's not use the word addiction because most people don't stay addicted. It's actually only, for example, alcohol. Most people, only about 3% of all people who have alcohol problems show long-term symptoms of alcohol addiction interesting most people and the research shows that most people get over any so-called alcohol addiction within three years because it's a symptom yeah if the, if the underlying problem gets resolved or changes or gets rebuilt in some way as you do after a divorce yeah. and you you reconnect in a good relationship you don't use the alcohol as much you may still use alcohol right in fact, most people who had alcohol problems still use alcohol Despite the um, a, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous propaganda, by the way, right? Go to watch. Go never watch. Never do anything. My talk on Alcoholics Anonymous as a religion. Yeah. Uh, get rid of that bullshit. Anyway, so how does this relate to sex? Is because you were raised with all sorts of crazy ideas about sex and sexuality, <laughs> and my <laughs> my book, Sex and God. That's the subtitle is how religion distorts our sexual our sexual uh, sexuality. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's all right. So it distorts it by telling us things that are just flat wrong. Any primate is going to masturbate. That we see chimps doing it. We see bonobos doing it. We see uh, macaques doing it. Any primate is going to masturbate. And masturbatory behavior has a, in males, has a very good function, a very important function. It yeah. keeps the sperm uh, fresh. You got to keep. You know, keep the pipes clean and the product fresh is yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, a sperm becomes senile, and that's the technical term for it, after about five days. So as a species, if, if we want fresh sperm that are more likely to impregnate the female or, you know, fertilize an egg, you want the best sperm you got. Well, if you haven't masturbated in five days, then a huge number of your sperm ain't good for nothing. Interesting. Yeah, that's just the way it works. And it doesn't matter what species we're talking about. Uh, sperm simply don't last forever. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to keep going. So uh, moral story here is for, especially for the guys out there, masturbate at least 
once every five days just to keep the sperm fresh. Yeah. Now, most of us aren't trying to reproduce. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what we do now, and more and more evidence is coming out, is you know, regular mass regular ejaculation, whether it's masturbatory or, or copulatory, regular ejaculation um, seems to have a positive effect um, in preventing uh, prostate cancer. Really? So you it's know, a delight. I just we, know. <laughs> we, uh, I am here to encourage people. <laughs> what are you trying to do? I do not want prostate cancer. I, this is my preventative activity <laughs> for every day. <laughs> oh, I told that to my wife the other day. We were we were talking after being intimate, and I said, "Man, at this rate, I said I'm going to live to 150." <laughs> I said, "We're going to be two of the happiest people ever." Yeah. <laughs> See, well, uh, yeah. there, there is a lot to this. I mean, emotional health comes from sexual engagement with somebody else. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's same sex or opposite sex, pansex, I don't care what you call it or sure. engage. That connection with another human being really, really um, enhances our immune system. Yeah. So people who, who can keep a good sexual connection, uh, the, the longer they can keep that sexual connection, the better. I mean, I think we're really seeing a, a nice, uh, I'm, I'm seeing more discussion about senior sex. You know, what, what's it like to have sex at, at 80 years old? Well, I'm yeah. 72 and I'm still fucking like crazy. So, <laughs> I mean, I still need, I need the blue pill to help it, it out, true. but I'm okay with that. I live at the right age here. I yeah. really appreciate the, the inventors of the blue pill. Thank God. Yeah, no, no doubt. I've had to use that before. Well, there's nothing, go for it. Go yeah. for it. It, it, it enhances a lot. Now, on the, on the female side, masturbation does a lot of good things. It actually helps uh, uh, with sexual responsiveness. Um, years ago, I, when I was counseling a, a woman, a, a Catholic couple, and they'd come to me for, for therapy, I, uh, early in the, I asked, she, she said, well, I've never had a, I've never had an orgasm. And they'd been married for years. Wow. And she said, and, she, and they were trying to figure out, some stuff in their marriage anyway it came up the sex part and she said i've never had an orgasm i said well okay let's talk about that and i said um how um how have you gone about trying to get an orgasm and there was silence i said what do you mean i mean have you self-stimulated do you touch yourself do you masturbate and she got white as a sheet and then she got red as a beat oh, wow <laughs> said, uh, oh i couldn't do that that's against god's word <laughs> Oh my! She's a Catholic, right? Oh my! That's so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I and so your husband's never given you an orgasm, but you've never given you an orgasm either. And then I had to go in some psychoeducation. You know, you are the first, and you may be the last sex partner you ever have. Yeah. So you need to learn your body, so you can teach your husband how to how to manipulate your body and give you an orgasm. I mean, it took weeks to help work her through this, and uh, she finally did and came back um, like a, about four weeks later with the biggest smile on her face, <laughs> and her husband was, had a big smile too. <laughs> uh, but that was a religious idea. I don't, I lost track of them. Yeah. You know, I don't know what happened. They may have left their religion. I don't know. But I, I do know that we've, we live every day, even as seculars, with religious ideas in our head. For example, I know many people who are embarrassed to admit they masturbate. I, I went, if you ever see me give a talk on sex, in fact, you can get on YouTube and watch. I almost always start my sex talk 
right off the bat. Which, right off the yeah. bat, I say, do you masturbate? <laughs> I do. Because if a if an atheist or an agnostic or a secular person cannot admit they masturbate, there where did they learn that shame? They right. learned it from, from the, the damn church. religion. Yeah. Whether it's a Muslim, a Christian, a Catholic, a Baptist, Hindu, it doesn't matter. The shame was learned from the religion. Yeah. I don't think any bonobo ape or chimpanzee get, is ashamed about masturbating. No. So why are we? Yeah. Why are we ashamed of it's? A, it's as natural as any as breathing. It's just a part of who we are. Every it's cell, biological. Every I cell re- in our body is sexual. Yeah. I remember. I remember. Well, how old was I? I was probably in elementary school, maybe even junior high. I was in a service, a Sunday night service. You know, we were Pentecostal, so we did the stand up and testify. Oh, yeah. I, I'll never forget. There was a guy I can I can I can't think of his name right now, but he would go around the country and talk to men. And it was all the men and women in the room. And he's like, who 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 has a, a masturbation addiction? <laughs> and of course, you know, I'm like, I masturbate every day. I'm not addicted. I just enjoy it. Yeah, right. But I'm just sitting there silently. You know, I'm just a new kid just discovering, you know, how masturbation, how wonderful it is. And this guy stands up, you know, and he's crying and he's, you know, he goes to the altar and the guy prays for him and other men follow suit and right, they go up right. there ashamed. And I'm just like, even then, I was just thinking to myself, if I don't fucking masturbate, I'm going to have a fucking wet dream anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. So who, like, this makes no sense to me. I mean, this, it, it just didn't make sense to me. Think about that poor guy who got up there, the cognitive distance he was experiencing. Here's his normal sexuality being expressed in a normal way. And yet his religion's telling him he's going to hell and he's a horrible person. and He's addicted. So fucked up. And the way he works it out is standing up and going up there to try and get some relief from people touching him and praying. Yeah. Now, it will give him some temporary relief, but he's going to jack off next week right. anyway, or next probably hour, that night. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that night. Here's what, um, here's, here, here's why I wrote the God virus almost. And, and the whole book is framed around one important concept. And that's the concept of the guilt cycle. Yeah. The guilt and shame, guilt and shame. So the religion teaches you from very early age, what to be ashamed of, what to be guilty of. Don't masturbate. Your body's your enemy. Thoughtful, uh, lustful thoughts are sinful. You know, all that Got stuff. Crucify the flesh. Yeah, crucify the flesh. All that purity culture stuff. So you are being programmed and programmed and programmed into feeling guilt and shame. And then the religion says, and then when you do it, because you will do it, you will have sex, you will have mastery, yeah. you will have lustful thoughts. Then you're going to feel guilty about all those things. And you've got to find a way to deal with the cognitive dissonance. And the way you, the church says, well, the way you deal with the, your sin and shame and guilt is to come back to church, Confess. to pray, to go to confession if you're a Catholic, to read your Bible, to go to Sunday school, or to confess like that guy did in front of the whole church. That's the way you get rid of the cognitive dissonance. Jesus will save you. And so you go, you pray, you do all that stuff, and you get some relief. <sighs> Oh man, that feels so much better that now I know Jesus forgave me for jacking off last night. Right. And then a week from now, you feel the, the, the sexual appetite or the day or whatever the sexual appetite build, build, build. It's almost like hunger. Yep. You start getting hungry. Oh, every couple of days I'm yeah. fit to be tied. <laughs> and then and then you do it and then you feel guilty. Well, the beauty of this system, beautiful from the religious perspective, is it means you have to come back to religion to get relief. 
There's no relief. You're you're constantly feeling guilty and shame, and you got to come back to religion. So you go confession, you sit down, read your Bible, and it keeps you infected with religion. It's a great con game. It's the most sophisticated psychological uh, indoctrination system. And, And Christianity kind of invented it. Although Judaism probably started it for sure. And other religions sure. may have invented it or they just copied Christianity. Islam's pretty damn sexual negative, sex negative. Yeah. So how do you get out of that guilt cycle? And that's a struggle because people still feel guilty about doing the simplest things. And it prevents people in, in relationships from being honest and talking about it. Yeah. I am in a long-term committed relationship with a wonderful person. And I'm, I'm thrilled about having that kind of relationship, but it just stopped me from masturbating. Right. Well, we may have sex, but I'm still going to be masturbating too. I'm still going to look at porn and I'm not going to feel shame about it, but it took me years to get over that. Yeah. And it took me years to, to learn to be able to just openly admit to my partner. It is not, there's people still believe that because you masturbate, you're damaging your relationship. Well, that's bullshit. Yeah. I got a lot of sexual energy. Does my partner want to receive all that energy? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) And oh, by the way, I'm thinking about other people when I'm masturbating. That's pretty damn normal. Do I want to tell her about it? Well, with permission, yeah, maybe we want to share that. Sure. But that doesn't need to be the centerpiece because our intimacy between us is, is something between us. Right. But I'm a sexual creature. I have a right. Here's a, here's a radical idea. Timmy, that I find most people don't get, even I don't care what religion or non-religion, you have a right to your own sex life, independent of whoever you're in relationship with. My partner does not control my sex life. I do not control her sex life. And with permission and agreement, we can have all sorts of arrangements. I've been polyamorous for 25 years and I'm openly about it, open about it. I don't give a shit. But I'm, I'm not advocating polyamory. Sure. I'm just saying I can be open and I couldn't have done that 30, 40 years ago. No. I just, I was, unless you lived in Utah, I was still an atheist and I, yeah, oh. Utah, but no, I'm not polygamous. I'm polyamorous. Uh, got you. Yeah. There's a big difference. Okay. <laughs> polygamous is a misogynistic bunch of assholes. Yes. You know, keeping women sub- submissive, but no, I'm not into that. Right. Uh, anyway. So you have a right to your own sexual sex life. And it's a, your sex life with you. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. You are the, like I said earlier, you are the first sex partner you will ever have. And you may be the last sex partner you ever have. Enjoy your body. It's there for enjoyment. Yeah. If you don't enjoy it, nobody else is probably going to enjoy it. Right. Remember the Catholic <laughs> example. I do have a funny cat. I got to tell this. It's just too funny. <laughs> I was dating. I was out of my uh, marriage two or three years and I started dating this great gal. We just hit it off. And, and, uh, she was Catholic though, an, an active Catholic. And uh, we, we started dating. Uh, she lived in an apartment not far from where we are right now. And I was on the other side of town. I didn't show up at her apartment very often, but this time I showed up unannounced because it was before cell phones. It was like 1990 or something like that. So I show up unannounced, which wasn't wrong or anything, just unusual. And I knock on her door. She lets me in. And we had had sex at her house before. She was all excited to see me and couldn't wait to get in bed. You know, it was, it was one of that high sexual energy relationship, new relationship energy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I go into her bedroom. I'd been in there before. And I look around and see stuff I'd never seen before. I saw 
a crucifix. I see a Bible. I saw Mary. I saw all this religious iconography. <laughs> and I say, Gene, where, where, where'd you get, where'd all this come from? And she said, well, Daryl, if I know you're coming over, I take it down. Cause I just can't come with Jesus watching me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. If you are married and you're religious, you are having a threesome with Jesus. <laughs> it's that simple. And she was still having a threesome with Jesus, I guess. Or oh she didn't my. even want to watch her. Yeah. Oh brother. So I'm, what I'm talking about, I think we're talking about is how to do a major attitude adjustment. Yeah, And these, these are conceptual skills and a conceptual framework that helps you get rid of the religious bullshit and ask some tough questions about it. The last five chapters of my book, Sex and God, I literally wrote with couples in mind. Read the book, but yeah. and don't skip the first part. But the last five chapters, sit down and read it together. I tell people, if you're a couple, if you've got, or, you know, if you've got a partner, read those last five chapters together because their last five chapters will have you asking questions you probably never thought to ask. Because, you know, think when you get married and you're a celebrant, you, you're marrying hundreds of people. Yep. Most of those people probably were married before, many of them, I'm guessing, and they got married as Christians or as, as religious people. And there's so much, there's so much fine print in the Christian marriage contract. Yeah, It's so fine, nobody can see it, but right. it's there, you know. Once you get married, you should never think about anybody else. Once you get married, you should never masturbate. Once you get married... You should have the happiest sex in the world, even though you never had sex before you got married. So how right. do you do that? You know, there's so many things. There's so many rules. And those rules get embedded in our brain or were embedded when we were three, four, five years old even. And now you, you haven't challenged them yet. You may have gotten this, uh, a secular celebrant to, to do your wedding for you, but you didn't challenge all these ideas. So you now you get married and you still believe you can't masturbate if you're married. You still believe you can't think about other people. You still have all these beliefs that were in that Christian marriage contract. And I want to have people, part of the reason I was so excited about talking to you is I want to tell the people that are getting you to marry them. Yeah. Start challenging some of the fucking ideas that you're getting into this next marriage with. Right. Because some of the ideas probably led to your first divorce or because you're, you aren't with your, your first partner or whatever. These are important things to do. Yeah. And you're going to grow. You're going to have so much more fun. You're going to, you're going to feel so much more fluid with your sexuality, express yourself in new and different ways and feel more accepted by your partner. And they will feel more accepted by you. Yeah. And men have a, men have trouble with this because yeah. our, a lot of the patriarchal aspects of Christianity stick with men and they have a hard time undoing a lot of this now women have a hard time too i i'm not saying anybody has a harder or lesser time i'm not sure. taking sides in that debate but i just want i'm a man i, I probably know men better right, right, and right. Uh, i'm talking to a man here yeah. <laughs> so you've we've got to we've really got to think hard and men are hard at this it's harder for men i think to be self-reflective about some of this yeah and ask some of these questions you know what so the thing that that so a lot of my clients i work as a relationship coach and so um, and I do have a singles group, which I need to have you come in and speak, but, uh, I've got like, I don't know, five, six, 7,000, uh, people in a group, a singles group. And, you know, I do little videos and different things here. And I, I'm uh, amazed at the number of Christian singles who are still held up under that 
you know, I'm saving myself until I get married, though they've been married and divorced already. And, and you know, one person in particular, I, one of my clients, I was just shocked because he, he doesn't want to have sex with this girl, but he, you know, masturbates eight times a day, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I, you know, I asked him, I said, well, you believe that's wrong and you continue to do it. How would it be any different to just have sex with a real person that you're attracted to that you want to have sex with? And, you know, it's just that mental, that Christian goofy teaching of, well, I want to be blessed. I want to go to heaven. I want to live right by God. I want. So I guess my question in all this is where the fuck did that teaching come in where sex is between one man and one woman? Uh, and not until you are married to this person. Like, where does that even enter into culture? Because, like, if you look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, everybody's fucking everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's like everybody's polyamorous. No, no, they're, they're, they're open. They're po- polygamous. Polygamous. Yeah, everybody's not, polygamous. You know, not polyamorous. Every, <laughs> you know, it's like some of the people that everybody idolizes. It's yeah. like, hmm. Yeah, Herod had 14 wives, and Jesus never condemned that. Right. Saul had hundreds of, I mean, Solomon had hundreds of wives and concubines. David had many wives, even murdered a man so he could get his wife. Right. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. Nobody condemns any of that. I always ask my grandfather about that. He never had a good answer. Yeah. He didn't like me asking the question either. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that, that funny you say that because I, my questions, my journey's been very public. Like I've been very outspoken uh, about where I'm at. And, you know, when I walked away, I, announced i'm no longer a christian and here's why and 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 you know pushback obviously from those that are still stuck in that world and and have you know they're walking that road and they can't see anything other than what they're seeing Mm -hmm. which it's that that right brain left brain thing is it means a lot to me because that's what it was i i just it's like i'd have this belief but i'm like that belief makes zero sense. I have to do backflips to even try to make that make sense. Like the the sharks teeth. God yeah. put them there. I remember in Sunday school class, I remember the teacher, some about dinosaurs came up and the teacher said, Oh, the dinosaur bones were put here by the devil. That's what my to grandmother deceive. used to tell me. <laughs> it's like, who the fuck actually <laughs> believes that moronic like Oh my gosh. Like that. I can't, it's like believing the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. Like we have fucking video footage. It's for sure. Not flat. Yeah. I just can't (laughs) believe that in 2023, there are people walking around who think that by not having sex or by not masturbating, they are somehow pleasing the God of the universe who put, if you believe in God, he put those fucking desires in you. So he's going to tell you, Hey, I'm going to make you want to fuck everything that moves, but don't do it. Yeah. And you're going to want to relieve yourself, but don't do that either. Right. right. <laughs> well, there's so much that's going on in the brain and, uh, all, all this God thing does is give, give, um, uh, uh, um, mental police that that's what that's what the god component in christianity is the jesus component jesus watching you kind of right bullshit yeah i can't watch over you all the time but there's a guy in the yeah, sky exactly 
So once you create the, um, the sex police in somebody's brain, then you don't need a priest anymore uh, just to sit around and watch. Uh, right. You don't need a minister. You don't need a science school. They are inputting and indoctrinating you with these uh, supernatural ideas. So the, the very fact that you have a supernatural belief opens the window in your brain to get a God in there that's going to watch you and condemn you. Now, why did that all originate? Because it's very, uh, I don't quote Richard Nixon very often, but um, but he did have one thing was true. He said, when you've got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. And that's what religion does. Religion grabs us by our genitals. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump here. I'm talking about (laughs) religion grabs us by our sexuality. And once it's got us, then it's got control over us. Interesting. The more it's the most convenient, most effective, most efficient way to control somebody is through their sexuality. And as long as you can tell them you're a bad person, your body's your enemy, you can't have sex without you know, God's permission or whatever, then you and if you don't, you're going to feel shame and guilt. Then I have no choice but to stay within this church framework. And that's that's what happens with with all the major religions, all the patriarchal religions, especially. And there's there's a little cue right there because you want to know who your progeny are. And that's and the church wants to know who to go get, uh, you know, who who to marry, who you married so we can get your money. Yeah. There's there's lots of things that come out of keeping control of a person's uh, sexuality and and uh, heredity. Yeah. And the Catholic Church figured that out about almost about a thousand years ago. Church wasn't really interested in who got married to who until about um, uh, eleven hundred, about ten, about a thousand AD. That's when the church started getting interested in whether you got married or not. Interesting. Church records show that the only people that really we kept records on were the nobility. It's important to know, you know, who get the money out of and to keep the money within a, a, a patriarchal framework. Yeah. And same thing was true. I mean, look at the Old Testament. It's, it's all about who's your kid. Yeah. Keep your keep your daughters virgins because if 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 we don't know who the baby is then they may get the property of you know the sheep are going to go to their own guy yeah right right <laughs> or the cattle or whatever else so there's just a lot of aspects to sexuality that are tied into the way religion controls us yeah i mean name a religion a major religion that doesn't try to control your sexuality yeah i can't even think buddhism big time tries to control your sexuality uh don't believe that don't let people tell you it's not a religion. It's a fucking religion of the worst kind, except in California. Who knows what that right, is? But yeah. California Buddhism. But Hinduism, India is the 145th worst place to be a woman in the, on the planet. That's pretty bad. Yeah. And it comes right out of Hinduism. Saudi Arabia, women have to wear you know, full shadors to, to go anywhere, and they always have to be escorted by a male, even if it's a 12-year-old son. It's, it's nuts, but... It's control of sexuality. Wearing hijab is control of sexuality. Uh, in my lifetime, women couldn't—a woman could not go into a Catholic church without a hat on. Right. Sexuality—that's control of sexuality. Now, these chains change because, as I write in the God virus, the viruses are constantly evolving. They're constantly mutating, just like the COVID virus. We saw it mutate several times just within the time frame of a year or two. Religion does the same thing. Religion has to evolve or it'll go, it'll, it'll go extinct. Yeah. There's far, like you said earlier, 
far more species have gone extinct than exist. There's far more religions who've gone extinct too. Yeah. In fact, the evolutionary parallels are remarkable. A great example is the, uh, the um, uh, burned over district in upstate New York in the 1820s and thirties. Uh, in in uh, 128 different religions started in the 1820s and 30s in five counties in upstate New York. Of those 128, it was called the burned over district because every month or so a new religion would break out and everybody would get converted to that religion. It was it was a crazy time in U.S. history. And only three of those, four of those religions still exist today. Of the 128 that started, Mormonism was one of them. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Seventh-day Adventist was another. The roots of Jehovah's Witnesses were, were, came out of that movement. And I'm trying to think. Um, there, anyway, there's, there's four that still exist today. But Mormonism is the one most people would see and understand. So it's evolution at work. Yeah. All religions are evolving. The Catholic Church is of of 2023 is not the Catholic Church of 1900. No, I mean, look, the lowest birth rate in Europe isn't, uh, or one of the lowest is in Italy, where birth control is illegal by the Catholic Church standards, right? <laughs> uh, so, if you want to be a Catholic in Ireland, you can be a Catholic in Ireland. But Ireland just passed an open abortion. Uh, constitutional amendment about three or four years ago. So the Catholic Church's influence in Ireland is really, really diminished, or they would still have uh, made, made abortion illegal. Yeah. The evidence is so obvious that religions are constantly evolving. I mean, look at how rapidly anti-gay the Mormon Church was just a few years ago to Proposition 8. You know, they put millions of dollars to kill marriage equality in California. And now they're really they're really backpedaling all that. They're still anti-gay. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but they're backpedaling all because they're losing they're losing thousands and thousands of members. Well, Joseph, even I'm younger, a little bit younger than you. Even in my lifetime, I remember I've seen it evolve. I remember going to church, hearing the pastor preach, stay with your own race, mm -hmm. don't marry anybody outside your race. And used Bible verses to prop that thought right. up. Yeah. And no one said shit. You know, now, oh, hell no. You can't say, you would not say that now. Right. Same thing with the, the LGBT uh, movement too. I yeah. mean, or, or the group. You can't, you can't come out big time against that either. You're just not going to be a, in existence. Right. You know, yeah. you just, now they, like you said, they secretly have, they, they're against it, but they don't say it out loud anymore. Yeah, yeah. And eventually they'll just be on board with it. And that just, that shocks me that you, you would, you said that this was so bad and now, well, you know, exactly. <laughs> because you realize if you stick with that, you're going to go out of his ex existence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that old, um, old saw that Baptists uh, don't recognize each other in, in Hooters. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what's uh, – it hadn't been that many years ago till till alcohol was horrible. You couldn't drink alcohol if you are Baptist. You no couldn't way. gamble. I remember my Baptist friends couldn't even play cards. No. Well, now, I mean, none of that – religions have to evolve. 
and they're going to evolve to keep up with the culture because the religion that gets too far behind the culture is going to go extinct. That's why the shakers don't exist anymore right. <laughs> among, among other religions. But it's, that's a dramatic one, the shakers, because they didn't reproduce. Yeah. But, but you, know, you know what I'm, I'm oh, getting absolutely. at? The evolutionary component of this is really important. And your, your church of choice, whatever church you belong to right now, is not the church that was there 50 years ago no, or 100 years not. ago. So ask yourself, uh, is this – is God's word always unchanging? <laughs> it seems to change about every generation, you know? <laughs> yeah. So all this God's word now forever. What was that? What's that oh, saying? It's not, it's unchanging today, the same today, tomorrow and forever. Yeah. That's exactly yesterday, right. today and forever. Yeah. Right. Except it does change about every generation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, I, I remember the Bible school I went to, which is ceases to exist today. Mm -hmm. uh, Central Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. I had to wear a tie a suit and tie to yeah, class. Yeah. Uh, had to have short hair. Uh, had to be over the ear, not Even touching as the my Jesus collar. Picture had a beard with long right. hair, right? With <laughs> sandals and a yeah, which is more my look now. More hippie. Yeah. It's like I just yeah. It I couldn't. It, you know, women had to wear one piece swimsuits with a t shirt over it. You know, there was all these things. I remember even then like feeling like I had stepped back in time. I'm like, where the fuck am mm -hmm. I? This is crazy. No TVs allowed on campus. Couldn't see, you could not go the, to the theater or you would be kicked out of the school. Yeah, all right. I got kicked out of, of that college for drinking a wine cooler. Oh yeah. That's a big sin. Yeah. yeah. My, so, my wife went to, um, Ozark Bible College. Did she really? My, my first wife went to Ozark Bible College and uh, we we started dating and her parents wouldn't pay for any college except that one. Wow. So and so she had to leave Wichita where we were both raised and, and go to Ozark Bible College and I would go over there to see her. Uh, she only stayed there one semester. She couldn't stand it. <laughs> but at in order to get out of the dormitory on Saturday night, she had to kneel down on the floor and prove that her skirt touched the floor while she was on her knees. That was they did. Yeah. You oh, couldn't get out of the dorm unless your skirt touched the floor when you were on your knees. And I would go pick her up. We'd go out for a date and, uh, you know, secretly find a park and go, you know, fuck like bunny rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing about that college was every semester, uh, girls would disappear. They would just like, without any warning, they would just be gone and nobody would know. Nine months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And nobody would know where they went or what happened to them. Most of them never came back. Or they showed up at a different college, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, anyway, thank goodness. We both, my wife and I had the good sense to use protection. We weren't going to yeah. get pregnant. <laughs> but some people, that Christian indoctrination teaches kids, you shouldn't have sex. And oh, by the way, don't plan to have sex. And then you won't have sex. Well, that ain't on work. That's, no. You're going to have sex and you're going to do it without a condom and you're going to get pregnant and, you know, that sort of and stuff. And maybe while you've had a few drinks, the, which drops the inhibitions. Yeah. The, the research, my own, our own research, we did some research about 10 years ago. We got 14,590 atheists to tell us about their sex lives. Wow. Now, the reason we were doing that is because we wanted to find out what happened to people after they left religion. Because that was, uh, and most of those atheists had been religious before. So, um, and then we'd have a sample of people who are raised atheists. So we could compare in my in our research, and it's available online. You can go look at it. 
we could compare what it was like to be raised atheist in, in your sexuality versus what you're raised Christian, and then what happens when you leave. So we had this three different conditions. It's, it was a really fun study to do. And we, we found that the more religious you were, you were raised, the more purity uh, you were raised, the later you started having sex by three months. By three months. But, yeah, so all this purity culture and going to the heaven, getting that purity Gives ring, three months. And all that stuff, <laughs> you delay it three months. But more importantly, you delay it three months and you don't use condoms after that. The atheist kids, the kids that were raised secular, they were using condoms. They were getting, they were starting sex three months earlier, but they were using condoms. The religious kids were starting three months later, but not using condoms. Now, this research, I'm not the first person to discover this. In fact, I was the last person. My research was is following on several other uh, research projects that showed the same result. Ours were just confirming what we had seen in other in other studies. And and there's been several studies since then that show the same yeah. same kind of stuff. What what would you say is the biggest hang up that you see with people? who are Christian or they're coming out of Christianity, what seems to be that big, like, this is what I see almost running through every person when it comes to sexuality specifically. Yeah. Is it just the guilt and shame around? Yeah, it's the guilt and the shame, especially around sex with themselves. That's, that's a tough one that most people struggle with. Uh, and, so many people got married right out of church. Because they wanted to have sex. Because they wanted to have sex, not because they Guilt were compatible. Guilt-free sex, right. Yeah. So they get, out of, they get out of high school. They get married within a year or two after that. Maybe, maybe not go to college. I mean, that's, that's irrelevant, actually. But they get married early because they want to have sex. And then they, they feel guilty about having sex. Because if you're programmed your whole life that sex is terrible, your body's your and all this... But the minute you get married, it's wonderful. It doesn't work that way. No, yeah. So I've interviewed way too many people who said, we didn't consummate our marriage for a year. Wow. I had one guy tell me, and he was a Pentecostal minister. I've known him for years. He told me, when I first met him, I was trying to do some sex work with him. Sex therapy work. I've got to be careful of that. <laughs> anyway, he said he and his wife, we're married for 19 years and they did not consummate their marriage for three years. They were both so damn guilty about it, but he was a fucking minister. 19 wow. years. They didn't. Now they ended up having two or three kids. He said, but he said, I can count on two hands the number of times we had sex in our whole, whole marriage. Now, wow. That kind of shame and guilt is, is rampant among the purity culture people. It's also rampant in Catholics. Catholics have their own special kind of guilt. So dysfunctional. Yeah, it really, it really is. And what I've noticed is there's a different guilt. There's a different guilt framework for Protestant women than there are for Catholic men. Catholic men have, a, they have a the Madonna whore syndrome. Yeah, that's kind of what you were talking about earlier with yeah. one of your clients. It's it's just the Madonna whore syndrome. I want to have fun with a whore, but I don't want to fuck my wife, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, that's what Catholic men go through and they can't get it out. Why can't you be both? Yeah. You right. Know, why, why can't you enjoy whatever fantasies you want to do between you and your spouse? But no, that doesn't work that way because, um, 
you know, the, this notion of get out there and, you know, treat women like, like whores or whatever, that's very exciting, but I, I, I shouldn't treat my wife like that. Well, um, you know, there's other ways to do things. You could, I, I, there's so many different, I going through my head right now. Yeah. She could turn you over her lap and spank you. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's have a, have fun doing it. Does that give you a heart on and go for butt it? Plug up your ass. <laughs> Get you she going. Could, she could treat you like a whore. <laughs> but there is a difference in Catholic guilt and Protestant guilt. Every, every religion has its own guilt pattern and shame pattern. In fact, there's a, I look at his uh, spectrum uh, shame on one end and guilt on the other end. They're related, but they're not identical. And some religions are much more shame-based, like Islam is very shame-based. Catholic ca Catholicism is not nearly as shame-based, but it's still got a shame component to it. Protestant is much more guilt-based, yeah. still has some shame. But it's a mix, you know, it's a mix. You may be 90% guilt and 10% shame in, in Protestantism. Now, once you get into a cult, cults are almost always shame-based. Yeah. So uh, that's why you have to wear a shador. That's a shame signal of shame. The women's a woman's body is the very epitome of shame. Yeah. So you can't be looking at it because she's going to tempt men. And that whole that whole um, psychology that women are the problem. Women are the tempters. Women led men astray. He was he was the uh, right. Eve. Yeah. Eve gave Adam yeah. that tempted him with that apple. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so there's so. There's so many of these things. I hope from what we're doing here today, we, we've challenged some some thought patterns that sure. your listeners have. Well, how would you work through it? So I'm thinking to myself, well, for me, let me just say this. For me, I had to walk away from faith. I mean, I had yeah. to walk away from the entire belief system. Um, once I just couldn't believe it anymore, all of a sudden, I'm just, I feel so free. I feel so liberated. I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I you know. Wow. I, I just yeah. didn't realize I could feel so free and, and feel so like good about myself and just, you know, anyway, a lot of, for me, just because I can relate to mm. the Carl Lentz story of Hillsong, mm -hmm. uh, the guy in New York, the pastor, I lived in secret for so long, meaning these secret desires, these secret, like, you know, I was yeah. always a very sexual person. You know, I lost my virginity, waited as long as I possibly could until I just couldn't anymore. I was, I almost turned 18 before I lost my virginity. You know, I was trying, right. I was trying so hard to stay a virgin. And once I experienced it, I was like, I want to do this all the time. Yeah. And I guess I'm just going to have to deal with the guilt and the shame. Right. And then got married fairly young in my twenties um, yeah. And, and th that was always, there was always, sex was always a thing. Mm -hmm. And now that I've gone through all this healing work and I left faith and all this stuff, I've never had such a healthy perspective on sex, such a healthy sex life, no hangups mm -hmm. like per se, you know, obviously I wish my dick was, you know, way bigger. <laughs> <laughs> like most guys would say, I mean, you know, outside of the normal stuff that just, you know, that right. maybe as a guy I would deal right. with, um, all that stuff just w washed away and it washed away with religion. So in my mind, I'm, I'm listening, I'm hearing the voices coming to me off this podcast of a lot of Christian people listen to this Oh, uh -huh. and, and how can you 
let go of the guilt and the shame surrounding your sexuality and be free and yet maintain your faith. Uh, you know, for me, I had to let go of all of it to be free, but do you ever help Christians just with that piece to help them work through and help them understand that, Hey, you know, this, this isn't what you've been taught. Yes. Um, personally, yes, I have. I, we don't make that a big part of what we do and recover from religion, but yeah, as a therapist, I, I did, uh, and have, here's what usually has to happen is as long as you hold on to patriarchal supernatural beliefs, you're going to have a hard time getting rid of the guilt and shame because that just comes with the territory. It's, 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 it's ingrained in there. It's so deeply ingrained. If you want to move out and, and have a different belief structure that doesn't involve males being the dominant of the species and females being second class citizens that you get in every, every patriarchal religion, you can move into Unitarians. You can, there, there are Quakers, you know, there's, there are religious organizations that don't preach the patriarchal bullshit. Yeah. That's the only time I see people actually be able to move and stay inside religion is they move away from the patriarchal stuff because yeah. it is, is just so deeply ingrained and it's ingrained in men and women. Yeah. Women. I just, I'm not, oh, I've heard women defend it. Yeah. Oh, my husband oh. is the head of our household. I oh, submit yeah. to him willingly. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. And uh, we have sex once a year, whether we need it or not. Uh, if then, you know, the sex isn't everything in a relationship. Sure. But it's pretty damn important for sure. most relationships. If you're asexual, if you don't have a high sex drive, nothing wrong with that. Be who you are. Sure. But that's that's the key. Be who you are. Don't try to be who the religion tells you to be. Right. Because Christian Christian sex comes close to being asexual sex, especially when you realize that most of the religions teach procreation as the primary use for sex, right. not recreation. Right. Recreation is the primary use for sex among Homo sapiens. It's also the primary use for sex among bonobo apes. Yeah. It's it's and and for many other species, but those two species particularly, we need sex to trigger the dopamine and the oxytocin in our brain to create a bond between two people. Yeah. And that bond doesn't just stay there unless it's continuously stimulated. You can create the bond for about four years in a relationship, but after about four years, you got to, you got to keep it going. And that sex is the way our species does it. Yep. When sex dies and sex dies in many, many marriages, oftentimes, not because people don't want sex it's because of some really interesting a really interesting thing called satiation and I, I i work with couples around this issue if i take my right hand and i rub my uh top of my left hand and i rub it long enough i will stop feeling it yeah. i will become satiated if I was told, if I told you that you can have all the steak you want, but you got to eat steak the rest of your life for every meal and you can't have anything else, you get sick of steak. You would become satiated. Yeah. When you marry somebody, when you get into a relationship, I will predict in four years, you will become satiated five years at the outside. And that's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. So if you want to maintain a good relationship, you got to find ways to stimulate and keep the relationship fresh 
so that the bonding oxytocin and other chemicals that come off in our brain keeps keep stimulating us. Yeah. It's it I, once you openly admit, I don't want to become satiated with you. I love you. I want to be able to express this. There's more than and sex is one of the ways to do that. Right. There's many other there's other ways. You can take road trips together and not ever have sex, maybe. Right. That will stimulate the oxytocin. Sure. There's lots of ways to do it, but sex is so damn important for our species. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Talk openly about it with your partner and then enjoy yourself, your own body, and enjoy your partner's body. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm I'm going on and on. No, <laughs> I think I think it's important because I like I said, I I I talk uh, fairly disparagingly, uh, and I've tried to wor word things better now. I don't want to be offensive um, with my journey out out of away from faith. So I try to I try to be accommodating for those that still want to hold on to a Christian faith, but yet you know they still struggle with their sexuality right. or they struggle with relationships or. You know, it's just fascinating. I'm, I'm so fascinated why, with people that say, you know, I've been praying that Jesus would heal this or whatever. And, and he, you know, he doesn't. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, if you thought maybe you should do something about this, like maybe you should go to counseling, maybe mm -hmm. you can dig into this and really find out what's, what's going on inside you. Um, but they stay in that bubble and that, you know, they're all their friends are Christian. They go to a Christian church every Sunday and, and that just keeps getting confirmed, reaffirmed, confirmed, confirmed, confirmed. Yeah, and what happens confirmation is confirmation bias. And, and the triggers. Once the triggers are set, every time you go back to church, it triggers all that again. Yeah. And, I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to be pure before yeah. God, which means I can't give in to my fleshly desires. I used to preach that, like hearing me say that. I'm like, wow, I used to say that kind of <laughs> shit, that, which is, I, I can't, I used to do, I can remember how I would do it. I'd be teaching and I would do this when I'd talk about crucifying the flesh, oh, you know, yeah. I would talk about, you know, choke your flesh out. Wow. And, and I just remember thinking that I was conflicted even then it's, it was like this constant battle. It wasn't just an us and them, like the Christian and the non-Christian, it was us and them within my own yeah. body. You know, my body wanted to do things or experience things that my Christianity would not allow for. Right. Right. Most Christians, well, no, most religious people doesn't even Christians. Cause I see it in Hindus. I see it in, in Muslims, uh, Mormons didn't matter. Most people are, are living two lives. The one life is there is a, as a natural human being with normal sex drive and all that sort of stuff. The other one is they got to look like a Christian. They got to act like a Christian in public. They don't do it in private. They're right. masturbating in private. They're looking at porn <laughs> in private, but almost everybody does it. That minister who stands up there and condemns He's people. Fucking doing it. He did it that morning before right. he stood up and told everybody else don't do it. And parents who are putting their kids through purity culture got pregnant before they were married. Right. My grandmother was a purity. She was with purity culture before purity culture was the term was even invented. She probably, we don't have final proof, but probably got pregnant before she got married. Oh, and she got divorced and was living with another man. I mean, this, she, she would not, we only know this because the, the census data shows us that in Shawnee, Shawnee, um, Oklahoma, she was married to a guy named Thompson at the census in 1930. Yeah. But she was living with a man named Ray. <laughs> the man named Ray turned out to be the only man I knew as a grandfather. I never knew my real biological grandfather. And she never, she never um, married 
the man that I knew as my grandfather, there's no birth certificate, uh, no, no marriage certificate. Yeah. And we and we only got a divorce uh, uh, proof of divorce from her first husband 11 years later. So she was living in sin with my grandfather her whole life. And yet she would condemn anybody, anybody for she wouldn't let us celebrate her 50th wedding anniversary, my grandparents, because that would people would figure out that. My dad was oh. born. My dad was born before they could have a 50th wedding. You're speaking shame, shame, shame and guilt. You're speaking my language. I mean, this, this, I grew up in a culture that taught without saying it out loud. If you just don't know what's going on, then I'm good. Meaning. Yeah. I can act, I can come to church. I can do all this stuff. Yeah. yeah masturbating every day and watching porn. I'm doing all this stuff behind closed doors. But as long as you don't know about it, right? then it, I'm good. But then it gets you into that. Like you said, it's that cycle. I've never met a human being, Christian or not, but let's just say mainly Christian. I spent you know my whole life in that. I'm 54 now, just got out five years ago. My whole life in there. In the Christian world, there are people who have addictions. There are people who uh, wind up in jail for theft or for killing people uh there are people that are depressed there are uh, people who use their religion to abuse their spouse absolutely yeah. i mean just uh, just watching the the crazy hillsong documentary all the shenanigans behind the closed doors it's just like everybody lives two lives if yeah. you're a christian you got to live a christian life and then you got to live a human life and it's it's somehow it's, they're lined with themselves though because it's like yeah, I do that, but I go to church and I give money and I tithe and I ask God to forgive me. So I'm forgiven. Right, right. Somehow they think that that's like a magic wand that doesn't make them, pardon the way I'm going to say this, but like you're fucking, you're still, you're fucking human. You're doing right. what humans do. I, Your brain wants to, uh, it wants to integrate all these things and it's constantly struggling to do that. And you simply cannot do it. That's where the torment as, is. As long as you stay a Christian, as long as you stay in that patriarchal system, yeah. stay as a Hindu, stay as a Mormon, stay as a Mennonite, stay as whatever it is, you cannot reintegrate. Your brain's constantly trying to reintegrate, but it can't. And what you just said earlier was you, you feel more free because you left. Well, that's because you, your brain no longer has to struggle. It's it can now integrate smoothly. Right. And there's still hiccups and and ideas that you're still dealing with. Sure. But, but you're every time you deal with it, you you create a little more integration there. Yeah. It is impossible for it would be impossible for somebody who's a dedicated Baptist to not live two lives. It's right. impossible. Yeah. You're you're gonna be a human and you're gonna feel guilty about being a human. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, men, you know, Christian men go out of town and they go to strip clubs and they do this. Absolutely. Like you said, you know, yeah. the, here's what I think changed for me. And I, I've never really thought about this in a clinical way, but for me, it was, I, I had this double life now a double life. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was secretly had another family and it wasn't that, <laughs> yeah, double, right. but it was more of a double life in my thoughts, you know? And so when I let go of faith, how I put it to people is all of a sudden how I was living and what I was believing were the same. Yeah. And all of a sudden I became a whole person. I no longer was choking out this yeah. bad sexual part of Timmy that wanted to, you know, whatever. 
all of a sudden, because my counselors, thank God I didn't go to a Christian counselor. Yeah, right. And she she told me, she said, Timmy, you can't look at this this other Timmy as this dark, sexual, deviant, bad part of you that you need to squash and cage. She said, let him out of the cage, treat him like your younger brother and love him and integrate him with you. And you'll be whole, all these emotional issues that you're struggling with, that struggle will be gone because, mm -hmm. and, and even when I got divorced, I remember going, okay, full honesty from here on out. Like I'm going to live honest. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I start, first started dating, as soon as that ink was, it wasn't even dry on the thing. And I'm like, I'm going to get out and start, you know, I was married for 25 years. I'm like, I'm going to get out and sow my seed and live mm -hmm. wild here. Mm -hmm. And I was honest with women. I'd say, listen, I just got divorced and I was in a long-term marriage. I'm going to counseling. I'm working on myself. I have, I'm not going to be in a committed relationship right now, uh, but I am down for fun. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at the women that were like, okay, I thought I was going to have to manipulate, lie, hide, you know, tell them I'm looking for a relationship. And then, you know, I'd have to do any of that. I could be fully honest, mm -hmm. be honorable, treat them. I had more women that were like, thank you for mm -hmm. being just straight up honest with me. Right. Yeah. I'll stay the night tonight. You know, they just appreciated my honesty. Yeah. You know, when guys try to lie, cheat, steal, do all that bullshit, it's like, dude, just be honest. Be your authentic self. Yeah, be your authentic self. You cannot be your authentic self while you're maintaining these notions. I, yeah, 100%. That was the thing. I could not live authentically. People thought I seemed authentic, and I was authentic oh, to a degree. Oh, you can put on a good act. Yeah, I was authentic <laughs> to a degree. But I couldn't be fully authentic until I let go of my religious perspectives. Well, I know for sure I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. In fact, we're going to definitely have to do another podcast. But this conversation is not done. we got other things to talk about. But I know that you have some things that you're involved in and working with and things that you're fundraisers and things. So uh, let's take this time to, to mention all the things that, that you're doing and how people can be involved and all that stuff. Yeah, great. Well, um, I, I, my main focus in my life is recovering from religion and the Secular Therapy Project. So I, I just like your listeners to know that we, we are a resource that you can use, or if you got a friend that's going through something, they can call us and we'll we'll meet you where you are. Um, if you're going through a divorce from a religious person, if you're religious, you don't know what to do with yourself. You raise your kids religious. Now you don't know what to do because you don't feel, you don't believe the stuff anymore. Anything. If it's related to religion, we're the people to talk to. And, and it's, we meet you where you are. We're not there to convert or deconvert. We have enormous amount of uh, vetted resources. These are resources that are neutral. They're not going to tell you to go to church or not to go to church. Yeah, they're going to help. That. They're going to help you with what other psychological issues you're, you're struggling with. And if you need professional help, our people can help connect you with a secular therapist, or you can go straight to seculartherapy.org, register as a client and search. It's like a dating site. If you've done online dating, we just help um, clients match with therapists and you can find somebody in your area. A lot of therapists are doing uh, remote uh, zoom kind of, of uh, therapy now, which is very good. It works, yeah. it works almost as well as being in the office. The research shows it does. Yeah. And uh, our therapist will not send you back to church or tell you your depressions because you're an atheist or because you don't believe in whatever God there is out there. Or they think there is. So it's, it's really a, 
uh, uh, and everything is free. We don't charge anything for our services. The only thing we actually charge anything for is our fall excursion, which is coming up in September. Fall, it's a it's a recovery retreat, but we don't like that word retreat. There's yeah. too much religion in the <laughs> retreat. You know? But we come together. We 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 sing crazy songs. We have a karaoke. We get good speakers. I'll be given the the kickoff speech uh, talk on uh, religious religious trauma and your brain. I'll be talking about the neuropsychology of trauma as related to religion. That'll be the, my my talk. But we'll have other talks. We'll have people teaching meditation, how to how to do meditation, um, how to do mindfulness. Uh, we'll have well, there's just it just be a wide variety of talks. Yeah. But there's also just free time for you to just talk to other people about their story. We're going to have some face to face meetings where you can just tell your story with a volunteer that sits there and just make sure everybody gets a chance to just talk and how therapeutic it can be just to get it off your chest. Say, here's what I've just come through. <laughs> yeah. And with you know, 80 other people will be there. We'll, we'll probably sell out this year. We've sold out the last two years and uh, those people it, it's in the Hills of East Tennessee at a be two beautiful lodges. They're right across the road from each other. And we've got a noisy, lodge and a quiet lodge nice <laughs> so if you if you don't want to be around with the karaoke you go to the quiet lodge <laughs> you can sleep there anyway it's a blast we've been doing it for four years it's uh it, where else on the planet can you get with a uh, 80 other people that are all going through roughly the same thing you are or have yeah and have safe volunteers they're all well trained and they're not and, and we'll have three or four psychologists there if you're going if you've been triggered by something if you need somebody to just process we got phd level psychologists or master's level social work kind of people all that's all that's a, what's going on but all this thing all this costs time and money yeah. the time comes for our wonderful volunteers we have over 450 volunteers wow. in like 23 time zones we've literally got volunteers from moscow and i mean moscow russia wow we don't know how she does it, but she's one of our better volunteers, more dedicated. We've got a volunteer in Romania. We've got volunteers in the United Kingdom, in Sweden, South Africa. we got Argentina. we got volunteers all the way to Perth and India. Yeah. So these people need support uh, from our systems. Our systems cost money. So we're doing our big annual fundraiser on the 24th of this month. It'll be a podcast youtube podcast kind of thing oh cool matt delahunty will be one of the hosts uh seth andrews will be another one of the hosts you know you know seth i, I know think. seth yeah we're we're related through our exes yeah i heard that, <laughs> <laughs> you know that. anyway uh shannon q will, will be one of the hosts and it'll just be like a telephone to, to raise funds for us we're trying to raise twenty five thousand dollars we'd like to raise ten thousand dollars before the actual fundraiser starts and it's on the 24th so if you can get online and donate please do. If you can't donate, we are not a church. We won't guiltify you, but we do ask you to repost, let people know about it. Um, praise what we're doing or go. If you give want a good to review, if you, yeah, give us a good review. And if you want to understand what we do, chat in, say, Hey, what do you guys do? What's it like to volunteer for recovery from religion? We get people chatting and say, Hey, I'm thinking maybe I want to volunteer for you guys. Yeah. What do you do? And why do you do it? Our volunteers are among the best on the planet. I can't, I'll put them up against anybody and they're not therapists, but they sure do a lot of therapy. Yeah. I mean, they're just listening to people's all many people don't need a psychologist. They yeah. just need somebody to listen. That's what I do. Yeah. You know, as a, as a, like you, I, I want, when I was younger, I wanted to help people. Yeah. And I thought I was going to be a psychologist and yeah. then I thought, ah, it'd be easier to be a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway. So anyway, that's that's what we're up against, up for. And I also like to, of course, I mentioned my book several times. Uh, go look yeah, at my please, book, yeah. uh, The God Virus. Or Amazon, God. available on Amazon. Uh, yeah, both are, or, or other places as yeah. well. So how do you know Seth Andrews? Well, I've known Seth almost since the beginning. I mean, he's been with the movement since about 2010. I've been active since 2008. So okay. he just crossed paths. He's always speaking. I, I spoke at the American Atheist Convention. He spoke at the American Atheist Convention. I yeah. went to the American Humanist Convention. He was there too. Okay. We just crossed paths a lot. Yeah. Plus, I've been on his podcast probably five or six times over the years. Yeah. He's, he's, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. And he's very, he's been from the very beginning, he's been supportive of recovery from religion. Yeah. He, he's, I would say between Seth Andrews and Matt Delahunty, uh, with the, um, atheist community of Austin, those two people have given, sent more people to us oh. than any other, any other source. Yeah. We, we get hundreds, if not over the years, we've gotten thousands of people come to us. Sure. I heard about you on Seth Andrews on Thinking Atheist Pod, or I heard you yeah. on the Atheist Experience, or on the line. Uh, Matt's now on the line now. And the line is actually, um, with Jimmy Snow, the line is actually sponsoring our our fundraiser on, yeah. the, on the 24th. And Jimmy Snow's bringing all these people together, including Matt Delahunty and Arn Ra. I don't know if you know Arn Ra. That sounds familiar. He He's the evolution um, evolution guy that's okay. uh, done such great work, but R and R become good friends. They've all, all these people have come to my house and stayed at my house uh, multiple times. Usually yeah. I used to have these big parties and I'd invite any atheist on the planet to come to my parties. We get 150 people show up and oh, camp my, out on my property. I've amazing. got seven acres. You got to come by and what? I would love it. I'd love to come out, have a bottle of wine together. So anyway. I would love it. Yeah. Seth Andrews. Um, I, you know, it's funny. He and I, uh, of course, met years and years and years ago when he was a broadcaster for, at a Christian radio show. Oh, oh, you did? Oh, oh yeah. He and gosh. I knew each other as sold-out crazy Christians. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, so you go back farther than I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go. So here's what's so crazy about that. We had that connection. We we matter of fact, he helped me with some uh, radio commercials that I ran here in Kansas City for the church that I planted, you know, I had a church uh, of like, you know, two, 300 people. And, yeah. and he helped me with some radio ads and different things. And, and then I just like, I really hadn't heard from him. And then I think I heard through the grapevine, you know, family thing that he had gotten divorced or something. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Long story short, I'm going through my, you know, deconversion or I'm, I'm working things out realizing that I'm, I don't believe a lot of this Christian stuff anymore. And so I'm Googling different things like, <laughs> and this thinking atheist thing pops up and I'm looking at the guy and I'm like, man, that looks exactly like Seth Andrews. And then I went to the details and I was yeah, like, right Seth Andrews. And I was like, so I had a cell number. <laughs> I just text him. I was like, Hey Seth, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm looking at the, uh, da -da -da -da, you know, and he's like, yep, that's me. I was like, can I call you right now? I, are you busy? He goes, no, call me. And so called him and oh, we struck God. back up and I told him, I said, Oh my gosh. He says, I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. Interesting. And uh, I said, I don't consider myself an atheist at this point. I said, I'm agnostic. And yeah. And so then he's come on the podcast several times and, yeah. and uh, yeah, just, yeah, just really, <laughs> it was just wild because we knew each other as yeah. Uber Christians. Yeah. And now 
um, where we are now. Are you a member of the clergy project? Uh-uh. Do you know about it? No. Oh, you need to know about this. You need to help people find it. And yeah. it's, it's for only for people who have left the clergy. Okay. And uh, it's that's its restriction. But it's a nonprofit organization. We cooperate. So we come from religion, cooperates closely, as do the Secular Therapy Project with them. Uh, we have a subgroup uh, we call our online community. You cannot find it on the Internet. You have to come to chat in with Recovering Religion yeah. and ask, could I join your community? And we can let you in and you can uh, you can join one of about 20 different communities, ex-Mormons, ex-Baptists, ex-Catholics. But we have one specific community, uh, Clergy Plus. Uh-huh. And it's for anybody, you know, the clergy project is for clergy only. Yeah. We offer an additional service. I mean, we like the clergy project. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dissing them, but what about the wife of the minister? What about the kids of the minister? What about people who are affected by that person leaving the ministry and now they've left or they've left the ministry, but they're, but their father, their father, their, their spouse is still in. So there's a clergy plus channel we call it a channel and you can get in so you could join our clergy plus awesome but you might look up the clergy project I i'm will. serious timmy you, you would find some of their stuff interesting and there's they have over 1500 members and every single one of them was a catholic priest or a muslim imam or a baptist minister or pentecostal or Jehovah's. you know they were a clergy project yeah. a clergy within that framework yeah yeah that's awesome i'll need to reach out. i'll do that actually as soon as we get done here yeah okay so i'm thinking in my mind uh all of the things that i've had to go through to unwind from christian teaching i have run into i i guess i have to admit this i mean i do have some friends that are christian but they're, they're well-balanced. They don't seem to have some of the trauma and fucked up teachings that I did. Uh, you know, like they were maybe taught, uh, evolution. They were also taught about protection. In other words, it was a more liberal mm-hmm. kind of a Christian upbringing, but that's just not my story. You know, that's just not my story. Mm-hmm. So I've had to unwind from a lot of that. Right. When you encounter someone interested in digging into their own psyche and and what how how religion fucks up the mind, where do you start with someone? Like where, I guess, yeah. Like what's kind of the the therapy progression of someone comes and they say, "Hey, listen, I was I spent thirty years in the Christian church. Now I'm starting to really wonder if this is true." Uh, and I also feel like I have some trauma as, as a result of it. What kind of happens? Well, no two, no two are exactly like yeah. uh, what I have to do as a therapist or a coach. When I, I do, I don't, I don't do therapy anymore. I just do coaching, life coaching and executive coaching. Yeah. But I start with where they are. I don't know what's bothering you right now. That's what we'll work on. Yeah. And then that will lead you deeper and deeper into stuff. Yeah. What people come and ask me initially, uh, three meetings later could be quite different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I've recently had somebody call me up because they were 
thinking about getting a divorce. And that was the presenting problem, if you will. Yeah. But let's dig down and figure what's what's going on here, what's emotional, and how are you and, and we find out that, you know, the contract that they had signed as Christians many years ago simply wasn't working anymore. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting idea. How do you renegotiate a 20-year marriage? Wow. How do you do that? And we kind of worked from that angle. I mean, if you if you decide get if you decide to get divorced, that's fine. Right. It's up to you. I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Or it's not my life. It's your life. Right. But let's think about this from a perspective of why'd you get married in the first place? Well, we got married because we wouldn't have sex. And that marriage has lasted quite a while. And we've got some good kids. They're all adults. They're gone. Do we want to stay married to, uh, together or not? Uh, do I want to have affairs? Does she want to have affairs? How do we renegotiate? Because in, in this case, they I, I guess without revealing too much, I'm not here to reveal anything. Let's just say they're super, super liberal Christians yeah. or even maybe agnostic. They, they don't go to church anymore, but they, they're not sure where they are. Yeah. Well, so what do you, how do you want to renegotiate? Because you know the contract you signed uh, the in, with the invisible ink at 20 years of age. <laughs> yeah. Is, you can't you, uphold that. <laughs> yeah. You don't even want to uphold it anymore, but you haven't asked any questions about it. So here's my little uh, mantra. Ans good answers come from good questions. Yeah. So as, as a therapist or a coach, I'm here to ask tough questions, tough, not in tough in the sense of mean or anything, sure, but sure. just here's some questions I bet you haven't thought about. Yeah. And as you think about them, you may even repel, you know, Ooh, I'm not sure I want to talk about that question yet. Yeah. Three weeks like from now. what if everything you were taught isn't true? Is it true? <laughs> that was a great question. That's a great one. Really? Yeah. And that's kind of where, where I go, wherever, wherever they are, that's where we're going to start. Yeah. I find that if, if we can, if I can help somebody renegotiate the whole notion of renegotiate, they don't even think about it. Well, oh, I just should get divorced. Well, what about renegotiation? Have you thought about that? Yeah, right. No, I never even thought about that. What does that mean? Well, it means let's think about the contract we had and let's think about the contract we would want and see if the two sides can agree to that. Yeah. And that's, it's tough. And yeah. I, and I would say most of the time, not most, well over 50% of the time, it doesn't work. Yeah. But I think it's a healthy way to decide whether you want to stay together or not. Yeah. I think people should divorce in a healthy way, yeah. not blaming and pointing fee, all that kind of bullshit. And so I really, really, really advise using a mediator. Yeah. If you're going to get divorced, go find a good mediator, especially a mediator with psychological training, like a social worker or clinical psychologist. Lawyers aren't very good at that. They can they can do it, but they're not trained in that area. They, they, their brains are legal. Yeah. So you may need a lawyer to, to, you know, finish off the paperwork, but why, why make yourselves miserable? You've had, here's my, here's a little pet peeve of mine, Timmy. You were married for 20 years and then you got divorced. That was not a failed marriage, right? That was a successful marriage for 20 years. You didn't, you don't think, well, I have a failure in my profession because I, I changed jobs after 10 years. I quit my job and went into a different profession or I went the different way. You don't think I'm a failure. Right. You think that's just a normal thing. Well, it's normal to have a successful relationship for four years, 
10 years, 20 years. And at the end you change, you go a different direction. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. Thank you for saying that. That's what we've, we, that's how I view mine. Yeah. I was married for 25 years. It was a successful marriage. It wasn't like we got divorced cause it was crazy toxic. It was just, we, no, it just, it ran its course. I mean, yeah. there, there's a story there, of course, right. but it, it just, we no longer were what we thought in our twenties. That's not what we were thinking in our late forties and fifties. Right. And let's move apart. Let's do something at let's, yeah. let's put that book. I read that book. I'm going to pick up a new book <laughs> yeah, now, exactly. you know? And so you're, you're simply saying let's renegotiate or try to renegotiate. And if it works, I have seen it work. I've seen it work many times yeah. and it's just beautiful when two people have been together for 20 years, renegotiate their relationship and decide we're going to go this direction with our marriage rather than stay on the track where we've always been on. Yeah. If you can do that, that's beautiful. If you can't do that, then now we can make a conscious choice about how we're going to, how we're going to break this relationship up, how the kid's going to fit into this. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of things to think about. And we can be very respectful of just people's life choices after that. And yeah. it is their choices. I may be married to you, but you don't control me and you don't determine my life choices. That's a big problem in the Christian framework is, as, as it's Paul says, you know, you should, you could, the, the man controls the woman and the woman controls the man. Yep. I mean, that's explicit. He yeah. says it that way. Yes. In yeah. there. <laughs> no, no, nobody controls me and I don't control you. And as long as we can negotiate or renegotiate our, our relationship and enjoy life together, there's that, let's do that. But let's rethink the contract because the contract is there, whether it was in writing or not. Yeah. And it's an insidious contract. If it's coming from a patriarchal religion, yeah. women suffer it specifically. Yeah. Women don't do well under the patriarchy. Right. They're always second class citizens. Even women who say, like you said, you know, I'm, I'm a good Christian. My man's first in my life. And he said, you know, all that bullshit, <laughs> you know, how many, how many things did they sacrifice to let the man be the, the head of the household? You know, they yeah. didn't go to college because yeah. he didn't want her to go to college. How many times have I heard that from Christian women? I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be a nurse, but my husband didn't think that was a good idea. So I didn't do it. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the that phrase that comes from the Christian church, you know, that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I love that I, phrase. One oh, of the few I, phrases I think I, is I still <laughs> say that's accurate right there. I say it all the time because that's exactly what happened to me yeah, is that yeah. I've always wanted to know the truth. Now, what truth meant to me as a Christian was the Bible. The Bible right. is the truth, the truth of God's word, truth that, you know. But then as as I started being, you know, it's I use this as an example because it's an extreme. It's like I believed the earth was flat. Mm -hmm. And then show, someone showed me a video of a satellite. And you're like, oh, wait, that doesn't appear very flat. And then, you know, you, you start getting the, the information. And all of a sudden, what I believe isn't lining up with what's actually factually true in the mm -hmm. world. And there was just this moment where I was like, um... I've always been committed to the truth. I can't change it. I can't, I'm not going to change that now. I will still want the truth. Even right now, today, I'm not a Christian, but I still seek the truth. What is actually true? Is evolution true? Or did mm -hmm. God 
just plop Adam and Eve down on the earth, right? I mean, like what is the earth actually 6,000 years old and, and sharks teeth up on mountains and dinosaur bones are all literally put here by the devil. Is that actually empirically true or is the earth ancient and religion was man-made, you know, created. It's a difference between capital T truth and small T truth. Right. And what you're looking for is small T truth. There, yeah. there ain't no capital T truth period. Yeah. I don't care what you want to do. The, the Muslims think they've got the capital T truth. The his, Hindus think they've got it. The yeah. Christians think they've got it. Uh, it's like that old saying, uh, religions, they, they can't all be right, but they can't all be wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's where it is. As long as you want to hang on to it is your life. You play it the way you want to, but why, why don't you want to know what the small T truth is as Matt Delahunty says, and I, I liked his quote. I, I, he's the one that introduced me and I don't know if he made it up, but that is, I want to believe as many true things as possible and as few false things as possible. Yeah. And I, I look back, that. I look back on my life and say, if I was, if, if, if I could sit here and talk to my 25 year old self, how much would I disagree with my 25 year old self? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I would disagree a lot. Yeah, I was still, probably everything. <laughs> I was, I was still homophobic at 25. I, uh, I still had a, a Christian view of, of monogamy, even though I wasn't really, I, I was moving out of Christianity. I still had it. Yeah. I would just disagree with myself a lot. And I think that's an interesting exercise for people to think about what things have you, you have changed your mind a lot over the course of your life. And if you haven't, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Most of us have changed our minds a lot, but I want to change my mind in the direction of closer and closer to the small T truth. Yeah. Science is always changing. There's stuff that I thought was scientifically valid and accurate and wasn't going to change 20 years later. It's totally changed. Yeah. But I accept that because that's the way science works. Right. It wasn't, it was wrong. It was the best truth we had 20 years ago. Now we've got a better truth or more closer to or better approximation of the truth. And that's all we're trying to do, Tim, yeah. is just get a, a closer approximation of the truth. Cause there ain't no T capital D truth. Right. I, I love science for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, that, that definitely was one of my, as I, as I, I someone, cause I get asked this a lot by people that are like, how, what was it? Like, how did, why are you, why'd you leave the faith? Or, you know, why aren't you a Christian anymore? And I was like, you know, it's, it's a death by a million paper cuts. It wasn't just one thing. I mean, I mentioned the Sapiens book because that definitely all the other little paper cuts had happened mm -hmm. by that time. And, and this one just was like the one that hit the artery. But for me, it was every little bitty thing that just couldn't or didn't line up and make any sense whatsoever with my Christian worldview. And it just literally started unraveling. And that was probably the, the, tr that was the most difficult part of my journey was during the unraveling. Once it completely unraveled and I was settled in what I didn't believe, what I did believe just where I was, then I began to, to, if you call it, call it rebuild or just, you know, continuing to read and educate myself yeah. and learn and grow. And like you said, to evolve, yeah. uh, Oh God, for thank God, I don't believe what I used to believe <laughs> 25 years ago. I mean, I just can't, I just can't even imagine it's, it's just, it feels good to be believing something that, that I don't have to 
do a magic trick to make it make sense or yeah. say the phrase that I used to always say as a Christian pastor, when they'd ask me a difficult question about something that was beyond my, my knowledge, I'd say, well, the mystery things belongeth to the Lord. You know, I'll find that out when I get to heaven or what? Yeah. The work, the, um, Lord works in mysterious ways. ways. Yeah. yeah his ways right. are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts and all these stupid quippy little things that I would say, which have no bearing at all in, in any kind of reality. Yeah. It's just, you just, you just say it. Yeah. But, but like you said, all religions think they're the one. So clearly they can't all be the one. The only thing that does make sense is that none of them are the one. Yeah, right. And so I'm curious in just in your research and your study, do you think that where does religion come from? I mean, I, what, how did it get invented or do we, do we, do you know any about that? Did you studied any of the history of it or. Oh, I, I, there's a lot of theories. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. I mean, it's pretty obvious we can tr trace the origins of certain religions pretty accurate like mormonism yeah, that one's real easy to trace we have that guy's driver's license on file yeah exactly and he was a wing nut you know interesting thing about mormonism is the parallels uh to islam are remarkable oh really joseph smith basically stole islam and put as a christian put, put some um put some um masonic uh iconography in it but it's it that's all mormonism is it's warmed over islam wow. with with masonic symbols uh it's it's pretty crazy when you start reading studying both you say, wow there's a lot of similarities between these two religions yeah. but that's all one all religions are as we've said earlier it's an evolutionary process so if you go back a thousand years you go back two thousand you go back five thousand years every time you go back you find an earlier version of a religion some of those elements still exist today. It's like your DNA. You got DNA in you from ancestors from 5,000 years ago. And that's all religion is. It's DNA. It's uh, Richard Dawkins actually coined the term memes and memetics. Yeah. Everybody sees memes on the internet. Sure, now sure. that he, he's the one that term, uh, invented that term memes. Yeah, okay. And it comes from a study, a, a literal study called memetics and memetics is just how um, is, is the study of how ideas propagate. And if you look at the, the ideas in the Old Testament of Asherah, of Yahweh, of El, well, you can go back another thousand years and find all those things in, in um, Canaanite culture, in the Phoenician culture, uh, uh, you know, at least 500 years earlier. So while we can't, it's like you can't trace everything back to a single point. Right. But what you can see is that I can see if I, if I had, if I found a, a mummy that was 5,000 years old and I could extract the DNA from it and you had an ancestor related to that person, we could see the DNA in you and in that same person. Right. That's all religion's doing. It's just DNA that keeps propagating. Yeah. It's been evolving for, for far as back as we can even tell. At least probably at least 35,000 years and probably a lot more. We just, we just don't know because, you know, um, symbols may be made out of wood. We don't have that wood anymore. Right. Right. Not everything was made out of stone or there's markings, but if you look at the, the, <laughs> we were talking about the homo naledi yeah. uh, before we even got started here today, the, so that there may have been symbolic um, 
gestures going on, kind of like the cave in La Sue that's 28 or 35,000 years in France. Only this is 300,000 years old and it's from a different species. It's yeah. not Homo sapiens, it's Homo naledi. Totally different species that had a brain that was one-third the size of ours. I saw that. I literally just saw that yesterday. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And yeah. the, and the to get into the space where those oh, bones were, be tiny. I would never, ever. Yeah, the, they said a bunch of uh, smaller women have volunteered to to get into the cave because the spaces are so small. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like I wouldn't get in there. for. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm claustrophobic, but I would be in that scenario. Mm -hmm. Like I can get on crowded elevators. That doesn't bother me but ain't no way I'm calling, crawling down little cave. No. But the answer to your question is there is no answer. I mean, any, because it gets lost. I mean, the, you may have one or two genes or, or segments of genes in you from your 5,000 year old ancestor. It just gets washed out and washed out. Yeah. And there's all sorts of things that are happening. That's what religion does. But yet you can still see the themes from at least 5,000 years ago. You can see the themes in, in our current religious environment that go back that far at least. Yeah. You know, I've often, I've often, uh, this, I think this thought comes from, from Richard Dawkins. He said that if everything was wiped out and we started all over again, he yeah. said science would, would begin to discover the same things exactly. that they've discovered. Yeah. Religion. We'd have a whole different set of religions. A whole different set of religion, <laughs> which makes me wonder also a, you know, will religion last the test of time, you know, like in, in 5,000 years, what will Christianity, will it even be? Will there be, will there be something totally completely different, which I think probably so. Same thing. I think if, if I, if I could just go back 25,000 years, set me down in a culture, the global culture, whatever, is Christianity a thing? No, there's some other fucking thing that you must believe in order to make it to the afterlife. This is what it is. And then that culture at that time, believe that that was the truth mm -hmm. well they're dead and gone <laughs> now you know 25 years later you know in america we christianity is the <laughs> jesus is the this is the one no yeah no 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 yeah if you go back to go 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 tepe uh, go Deppley tepe yeah i always have a hard time pronouncing me too that. me yeah. too <laughs> they, they clearly had some kind of supernatural beliefs going on there yeah the thing is that is the notion is of agency we as humans have agency and we uh, we project agency onto other creatures. You've got a cat, you got a dog, you, you're you constantly acting like that's another human in the house, just yeah. like I do with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> you would think they were a kid of ours or something, but we attribute agency to things and people can attribute agency to that Buddhist statue that I'm looking at in, mm -hmm. in your home right now. And I could worship that as having agency. Well, if you believe that a lions have agency, that's the, you might also believe the tree has agency. People are, and we've got this goes back thousands and thousands. It's probably at least forty-five or fifty thousand years that humans are are seeing agency in the in the animals and the plants yes. around them. Well, that's a supernatural idea from where we stand right now, but it's the way you interact with your environment, right? Is that a religion or not? Right, right. Yeah. No. Uh, a, a very interesting story written by an anthropologist that was studying Aboriginal uh, people in Australia about 50 years ago. He hooked up with a guy as kind of his main informant, and they were just walking. They, they would walk from village to village or something. And as they were walking, his partner 
the Aboriginal man would would start talking quietly to himself. And he, it took a while for him to realize what he was doing, but the, the man is saying, oh, hello, Mr. Tree, how you doing? How's the water below the ground over here, Mr. You know, Mr. Mole? And he's talking to all the people that inhabit his world. And they're all animated and they all have agency. And he's got to stay in connection with them. When you think about that, that is a very good, if primitive science. Yeah. You, are, you are observing the animals and the plants. That plant tells you there's water below the surface. That animal says there are predators close around here. That prey animal does. Yeah. You know, there's lots of information that this anthropologist had no clue about. And he was watching and listening to this man as they're walking. Everything has to be talked about. You have to pay attention. You have to respect everything. And then they got in his car and they started driving for whatever reason. And the poor guy had to speed up because he couldn't not do it. He's talking this tree and that tree and that animal, that plant. And and, wow. the, and he slowed the car down because he didn't want the guy to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we laugh about that, but that's, that's the environment. That's the agency. Everything has agency. Well, I know for a fact that that plant needs nutrients. And if I feed it, it's going to grow. I don't see it as having agency anymore. But that was one way to understand your world. I think this is yeah. really interesting. Was that a religion or not? No, but it did help him navigate. Yeah. So you can see kind of a the beginnings of supernatural ideas and when you project agency onto things. And from that, from that could easily arise what we now see as religion. Sure. I've heard, I've heard Richard Dawkins even talk about this, that, that, you know, back before we knew why does it rain? Because God's blessing us. If there is no rain, there's a drought. That's God punishing us. Well, that doesn't mean that's true. Like that's actually what's going on. That was just their perception of it. And so now, you know, Bible talking about demon possession. That's not, we know that's epilepsy. Yeah. It's not demon possession. Like we know what that is. And so, or the earth opening up itself and swallowing all the bad people. That's called an earthquake. <laughs> it kills anybody that's near it. It doesn't have, it doesn't pick and choose who it's, right. you know, and I just find that, that fascinating that I feel that as, as a human, probably what was going on is that they didn't know where they came from. They didn't know what happened after you die. They didn't know who was in charge of this wonderful world that they were in or this scary world that they mm -hmm, were in. Mm -hmm. And they made up this. They did. And let's go back to sex because this brings up an interesting topic. There are tribes in, in um, the Amazon, about 26 tribes out of 40 six or seven that have been studied that believe in something called partible paternity. And this, this is a primitive science. If you think about it, you look at a Picari or a dog um, and you, you watch how they mate and you realize that that dog, female dog has three or four males that she mates with the Picari, three or four males that she yeah. mates with. And then she has litter. So as a primitive Amazonian tribes person in one of these 26 tribes, you come to the scientific conclusion that it takes many males to make healthy babies. Yeah. In that culture, they believe in partible paternity. They believe a woman has to have sex with at least two or three men or her babies will be unhealthy, diseased, and die early. 
Now that's wow. a pretty interesting idea. Yeah. It's because all three men think they're the father. So they're all going to help. Him. So now they're going to help her. She's got a lot of help with those babies because they think that's so different than our Christian sexuality. Now we know that's wrong too. We know it doesn't take three men. Right. In fact, only takes one and, and no more are allowed after, yeah, after yeah. the egg is fertilized. There's every, I'm, and that's just one culture. I write about a, a dozen different cultures like that in my book, Sex and God. Each culture has a different view of sexuality, and it comes, a lot of it comes out of their supernatural ideas. I mean, the supernatural idea that it takes three men or, or whatever. Sure. And if you, you go to Hawaiian culture, there, there's no such thing as marriage. Their Hawaiian culture, pre contact, had no marriage except for the top nobility, the king and queen. They had to be married, but yeah. oftentimes they were brother and sister. <laughs> wow. So in Hawaii, you could get your head cut off for eating the wrong food, but they didn't care who you fucked. Yeah. You, in in uh, medieval, um, uh, medieval France, you might get your head cut off for who you fucked. <laughs> right, right. Um, Obviously, if you're royalty, you might get your head cut off if you're Anne Boleyn, you know, right, right. And, and Henry doesn't like uh, how you looked at the last guy that walked through. I don't know. Yeah. So there's lots of these beliefs. And I just think it's fascinating as a Christ, as a former Christian to look at other cultures and realize that Christian sexuality is only one kind of sexuality. Mormon sexuality and Catholic sexuality, Hindu sexuality, Muslim sexuality, all are different and they all use the same tools of shame and guilt. Yeah. But if you get outside of that, you go to the Amazon, they've got their own supernatural beliefs. Amazonian sexuality looks a whole lot different than any of the ones I just named. And then if you go to the Mooso in China, where there is no such thing as marriage, there's no husband or wife. Uh, a woman, when she becomes 13, gets um, an ex, an out, out, an exit um, from the compound. And any man she wants to invite in, she can invite in. Women are the matriarchs. There's no, there's no male uh, dominance. There's no patriarchal there. These, these, this tribe has been in existence for thousands of years, and we know it was at least a thousand years old because Marco Polo visited them and wrote about how their women will, will, uh, will fuck the, the, the uh, strangers that come through. Well, what he didn't understand was this, this culture. Is women have full control over their sexuality, not men. Wow. And when a baby is born, the uncles become the, the parent, the male parent figure. So if you ask this woman, who's the father of this child, she would laugh at you. She would not know what that means. It makes no sense. If you ask a woman, who's your husband? She wouldn't know because there's no husbands. There's no wives. This is a very different perspective on human sexuality. All I'm trying to say to people who are listening is open up your mind. Realize that human sexuality is global. It's not Christian. Yeah. Christian is a box that your brain was put into. Mormons, Mormon sexuality is a box. Catholic sexuality is a box. Walk outside that box. Talk yeah. to other people. And then create your own sexuality. Timmy's sexuality, Daryl's sexuality, Jane's sexuality. Yeah. It's your sexuality. You only got one life. Make it worthwhile oh, for yourself. Amen. You know, that that's the the thing that I, I resonate with all of that. The thing that's so fascinating to me when I was a Christian is that thought of, and how egotistical, really. I thought what I knew was the ultimate truth. And in other words, everything I know that everything and everybody listening, no one, none of them, no one, like even at the church that I pastored, not everybody in that church believed the same thing. 
But everybody thinks that they're right in what they are believing, right? Democrats think they're right. Republicans think they're right. Trump fans think they're right. You know, it's like everybody thinks that what they know and believe is the ultimate truth. And I've had this conversation with a with a, a Christian before where they were like, you know, it's God's word, you know. <laughs> Just like, like, no, God didn't write that fucking book. A human did. So to give the the power to a 2,000-year-old human book that it's somehow divine when, again, Richard Dawkins, I watch a lot of his stuff, and he said there's – or is it Sam Harris? There's nothing divine. If, if a divine being wrote the Bible or even influenced people to write it, then there would be something divine in there. Like, hey, motherfuckers, wash your hands before you operate on someone. Uh, that's not a fucking uh, devil. That's fucking epilepsy, and here's how you cure it. I mean, it's like clearly it's ancient. It's outdated. It's good literature. I mean, I think the Bible's a great literature piece, but to say that it's divine, I just, you know, and I used to say it was divine all the time. And then yeah, I started you, really looking at it. You said it was 2,000 years old. It's not. It's only about 1,700 years oh, old. Oh, well, there you go. So there you go. I mean, it's separated. The publication of the first complete Bible was at least 250 years after the so-called guy that died it's written about. So Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, big question marks yes. <laughs> that can come up in that. Yeah. Anyway. Well, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation, and I yeah. know that you um, – I've been telling a lot of people that I was going to be talking to you and they're super excited to, to hear this podcast um, because we do live in America and there are, we are in the Midwest. And so a lot of people are trapped in their Christian worldview and it's not serving them well. And they've got some trauma and some issues and some hangups and things that are fucking with them. We should talk more some other time about trauma, about religious trauma and about, you know, the symptomology of that and how to treat it. And that, yeah. that would be, a well, let's do that for the next one. I would definitely like to do that. Cause I would imagine people would really want to hear that. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. How, what's your website? How can people get a hold of you or follow you or. Yeah. They can go to recoveryforreligion.org and I'm, I'm all over the place on Facebook. They can find just Google me, Daryl Ray and see my Wikipedia page or whatever. Daryl at recovering from religion. If you want to directly email me spelled with one L two R's one L okay. And, um, um, my books both are on Amazon. I did a podcast for three years called secular sexuality and it's still up and running. It's a audio podcast. I would really encourage people to listen to that because everything we've talked about, I go over in with, in spades, Okay, <laughs> all sorts of, uh, comp, uh, and I'm very, and I oftentimes do it in an interview style. Yeah. So I'm interviewing, but sometimes I just do a monologue because there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. And, um, but that got taken over by the atheist community of Austin. They took over, we had an agreement, they took it over and they did it for about three or four years. And that's video on YouTube, but that is since uh, they've shut it down. I'm not sure if they're going to reconfigure it in some other way, but anyway, those aren't active. But what I'm, the reason I'm telling you this, this, the first three years of 90, uh, 90 episodes of secular sexuality are content rich with the kinds of stuff we just talked about today. Awesome. And I don't think there's anywhere else I've ever heard talking about this shit. 
Yeah. Nobody's talking about Spotify, it. Google Play, all that. It's yeah, it's on all those. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great because I would imagine after listening to this, you know, because we, we touched on a lot of different things. Um, and if people really want to dig deeper into it, um, yeah, do it. I mean, this has been the best journey for me ever, you know, to, to my parents' chagrin. <laughs> uh, it's been one of the most freeing, liberating. I know that's the same thing. Yeah. Just it, it's. It's like as a non-Christian, I'm more of a Christian in the sense of what sometimes we view Christian as is, you know, a, oh yeah. A, you right. know, it's like I'm <laughs> I'm more moral, I'm more happy, I'm more everything that I have is, I have a Christian friend who likes to say, Daryl, you're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And he I love him. He's a great Christian. If there is a great Christian, he's he's one of them. Yeah. But well, there are very many. And I thank you for saying that because I, I do. I know I have a lot of Christians that listen to my podcast and I, I try to honor them as much as possible, but also speak my truth. Yeah. And and definitely where I'm at. So yeah, kudos to all my Christian friends that are actually balanced, healthy Christians. Um, if that's not you, get the help. <laughs> yep. Get the help. I, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. It really Thanks was a pleasure me. talking to you and having you on the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Peace.